And ladies and gentlemen of the jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No. going to get him. edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Doug and Joe Hagman, something I like to call America's premier father-son investigative reporting team. A lot of a lot of things to, to talk about tonight, a lot of information to, to provide to you. I have a great show lined up for you. The second hour, we're going to be bringing on Matt Chirilla. Folks, have you, uh, have you have you wondered about the Supreme Court? Have you wondered about the uh, the entire the entire uh, lie about judicial supremacy? Going to be taking that on hours two and three with our, our guest uh, Matarella, talking about the doctrine of the lesser magistrate. And it might sound like a real snooze fest, but it's not going to be because you see the uh, when a superior court or a superior civil authority. For example, our federal government uh, makes unjust or immoral laws, policies, or court opinions, folks. The lesser-ranking civil authority, such as a governor, a sheriff, county executive, has the right and duty not to obey the higher authority and, if necessary, to actively resist the superior authority. This is what we're going to be talking about in the second hour, the second part of the program. The doctrine itself rests on two foundational principles, folks, that have guided Western civilization for well over 1,500 years, but have been lost to Christians in the last century. Interesting. I want to open this up first by letting you know that uh, tonight's broadcast brought to you by ZipRecruiter.com. Folks, if any business owners out there, small businesses, medium, large businesses. If you're a business owner and you're looking for that particular someone or, or multiple people, if you're looking for to, to post your job, well, ZipRecruiter is the place to visit. And right now, folks, our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. I'm going to open this up today as well by uh, talking a little bit about uh, censorship, uh, what's taking place here across our country. And I, I, Joe and I had given some indication yesterday and, and throughout the week so far about what's taking place on the Internet. And it seems to me, based on everything I've seen, that the stops have been pulled against those people or against the people, the truth tellers. In other words, there is a war on, on those who are speaking the truth. And if you're, if you are a conservative, a social conservative out there, and you are attempting to reaffirm the traditional definition of marriage, for example, by citing biblical scripture for the definition of marriage and, and what marriage should be that's between a man and a wife. Or, if you're speaking out against the murder of our unborn, 50 million plus unborn children, 
or whatever social conservative cause that you might be taking on, you are a target. You know, and this show is all is going to come together. The censorship aspect, the oppressive aspect of uh, things that we're seeing is going to fit really well into the second half with our guests. But John Adams said this, Our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. Now, that, that's a think about that. John Adams, the second president of the United States, the founder of our country, one of the founders of our country, said our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. It's number one. And I was thinking about that, and I was also thinking about what Steve Quayle had said. I fervently believe his quote, the quote by Steve Quayle, is, well, I believe that John Adams' quote is more relevant today than at any other time in our history, in our country's history. And Steve Quayle's quote is has never been more appropriate as well. And Steve Quayle, of course, had stated that there are no political solutions to spiritual problems. When you combine those two quotes, one by Adams, one by Steve Quayle, you can see where we're headed here. You've got to have the fabric, the moral, spiritual, Judeo-Christian ethic belief system as your as your infrastructure. You you cannot separate America. I don't believe you can anyway, and, and some people may argue differently, but you cannot separate uh, our Judeo-Christian roots and beliefs and the guidance that we receive from the Bible. And our and and our country, the leadership of our country, but that's what's happened. Right now, the leadership of our country is more morally and spiritually bankrupt. Now, most leaders on both sides of the political spectrum they lack integrity, they lack character, and most assuredly, they lack morality. Most are spiritually rudderless. Others, however, I believe this to be true appear to be serving a different God altogether. They are deliberately contaminating our nation with a doctrine of demonically inspired destruction. Because that's where we're headed, ultimately to destruction. What I find particularly insidious is something that that has only recently when I say recently, I'm talking about only within the last 12 to 18 months, has really taken off, and that is this. There are many writers, there are many authors, there are many investigative journalists on the Internet who have waged war against those people telling the truth, against us, against the quote alt-right now all of a sudden alt-right is the new term in my view for the vast right-wing conspiracy spoken about by Hillary Diane Rodham Clinton not to interrupt I don't know if you saw this but lately I've been seeing the phrase alt-right which I have not heard of until she said that being tied into white supremacy groups or the white supremacy ideology 
Absolutely. Which, with the, there is a big push right now, and I'm glad you brought that up because alt right. There's a symbolism, and and this is part. This is really part of. And folks really understand this because you're going to experience this as truth seekers and truth tellers. You are going to experience this, whether it's going to be from your neighbor, or it doesn't matter. But you will feel this. You will be affected by this. The as Joe you mentioned, uh, alt right associated with rights, uh, white supremacy. Alt right has the one of the symbols, a Confederate flag, a swastika at the extreme. Alt-right, conspiracy fringe. Alt-right, again, replacing the vast right-wing conspiracy. It's the conservative, Christian conservatives out there who are now the targets of this war. And it is a war. So over the last 18 months... We have seen this war heat up where the people who are just wanting to speak the truth, following investigative leads wherever they go, it doesn't matter. You see, when we do investigations as investigators... Now, we're a little bit different than other pundits out there, other commentators, other talk show hosts. Because by profession, licensed, we are licensed and trained investigators in the private sector. Myself, 30 years in the, in, in the investigative business, worked as an operational and informational asset for the various federal agencies. And uh, trained in a number of investigative talents, uh, uh, Disciplines. So I consider us different, not better, just different than other talk show hosts or other people out there, other um, uh, pundits. So when we conduct an investigation and we do our research, what happens in in our eyes? We don't look toward party political party. We don't care if it's a Republican or Democrat. Frankly, they're one and the same anyway. You know that and everyone knows that now. But we, what we try to do is follow the leads wherever they go. And that was that was kind of our, well not kind of, that was our mantra as we did investigations. When, when From day one, when we started, when I started this company, my company in 1985, 31 years now, I guess. Um, with my first partner who uh, has since passed, we, our slogan was we just follow the truth, follow the leads wherever they may take us, without regard to any political affiliation, without regard to anything except the truth. That's all we were after. And even today, that's where we're that's that's what we the policy that that we adhere to you know it, it i used to have on on my business cards in god we trust everyone else warrants investigation and i think that's true it goes back to trust but verify but 
All we are after is the truth. Now, here's what is taking place, and, and here's where I think of the, the really the crux of the hot war exists. There are what what has happened is there has been a split, a huge split, and it's not just down the middle, but it's I would say it's a fracture. Imagine taking a a hammer and hitting a windshield. And you know how the spider cracks go out all all over the the window. There's been a fracture within the media that encompasses both the corporate media and the new media. Obvious. There's an obvious fracture between the new media and the corporate media. We understand that. But what's less understood, I believe, are the battle lines, those cracks being drawn that are separating the people who say they are truth seekers to those who are actually seeking the truth. Now, I'm not trying to, to disparage anyone here. When you look at what is taking place, you see now that this is a tactic of the globalists, of the people who either have been co-opted by the globalists through money I don't want to say blackmail but through through coercion so you've got the at one time for example at one time perhaps you read a book on um, oh I, it doesn't matter whatever the subject and the author seemed like okay this this is a really independent investigative journalist writing a book or writing an article, it doesn't matter, or even talking on a talk show. And pretty soon, you watch the evolution of that person or the people. I guess th- this is this is a, about a whole group of people. And you see an evolution from that that pure point to a more corrupted and contaminated point. What I'm saying is, we can no longer trust the people we thought we could trust 10 years ago, 5 years ago. Now, I'm not speaking specific to anyone. I'm speaking about everyone. I'm not sure if that makes sense to you. I, I'm just, I, I really can see now the pillars of the, the conservative media, the one time uh, celebrated pillars of the conservative media being co-opted, much like our conservatives in Congress. I'll use this example, the IRS uh, commissioner. There there was a big push for impeachment for, for cause mm-hmm. against the IRS commissioner. Thanks to the changes or thanks to backroom deals, I guess, that included conservatives, small c conservatives in quotation marks now, making deals with the progressives, the democratic socialists in Congress. Not going to happen. At least not until after the November election, if at all. What has become a clear division 
between what is right and what is wrong, what is legal and what is criminal has been muddied. To facilitate this murking, uh, the murkiness of the water, this contamination, to facilitate this, are those former pillars of investigative truth out there. You may ask, well, you're spending a lot of time on this. You must, you must have somebody or some people in mind. I, no, it, it doesn't matter anyway. Because you, the listener, you, the viewer, you at home or driving in your car, you are going to have to determine who to trust for your information. Because as we get closer to the election and as we get closer to the end of the year, even as we get closer to the close of this month and to changes in the Internet at the end of this month, beginning of next month, Things are going to change even more. Now, I understand as well, oh, there's arguments saying well, that's just I can with respect to the Internet, the ICA, and uh, the, that registration process. It has nothing to do with you know actual content of the Internet. But I, I will challenge that. As we see today, at Zero Hedge, I believe it was today, wrote an article about YouTube censorship. Mm-hmm. It was uh, you can yeah chime in here because it was a zero hedge article that was also part of the antimedia dot org article that did some uh, uh, zero hedge built on a work from the antimedia dot org work okay that talks about the YouTube you, Google YouTube and the censorship of its users for the based on the monetization, taking the monetization away from certain videos based on content, front ranging from Hillary Clinton, you know, FBI investigation to other uh, controversial political okay. and so, stop, strange topics. Okay, stop right there, because ladies and gentlemen, this is our situation, though, personally. What we do is we, we, we do our show, we use multiple platforms, Global Star, Satellite Radio, God bless that... I'm going to tell you, I am so thankful for Global Star Radio. I am so thankful for Blog Talk Radio. Yes, yes, BTR, Blog Talk Radio. I'm thankful for Blog Talk Radio. I'm thankful for Global Star Radio. In particular, Global Star Radio, the owner, the manager, the man at the helm, courageous and tenacious. Thank you. But we brought uh, we broadcast on on the different platforms. Our personal situation with YouTube, we we put up I, I put up the uh, uh, constitutional crisis. It was a video I did twenty five minutes or whatever, explaining that in my view that the Hillary Clinton health debacle that we saw on nine eleven this year could lead us to a constitutional crisis given the fact that there is really, from a constitutional point of view there, there it, it's a little tenuous in terms of what would happen if a candidate, any candidate would drop out around that election date and <laughs> a couple of things happened after I, after I posted that got a, a notice from YouTube oh, you can't monetize it it doesn't, it, because it, just as Zero Hedge said, uh, reported, it violated or was not, uh, uh, it didn't, it 
you couldn't monetize it because it violated the community standards. Now, from the article on Zero Head, YouTube and Google are trying to shift the blame to the advertisers, right, saying that the right. advertisers are don't want their um, products associated with certain topics and um, correct issues. But they're they're passing the buck, in my opinion, because um, advertisers don't call the shots for the platform that's it, well, being used. Not I mean, to that a degree, sense. right? They not, can, not but, in that large sense, right? No. And there's, it's much more than YouTube. It's the Google uh, trends and, and the way that they censor uh, news on their own through their own search applications, and that's becoming more prevalent. Um, we've seen it in recent weeks just with the Hillary Clinton health issue. It's a that's great right. example. And, and that's, that's the, the title. See, what happened was the title, uh, uh, Constitutional Crisis and Hillary. See, if I would have put in there, Hillary Rodham Clinton is great, not a problem, or... Something for, you know, on behalf of Hillary Clinton. It would have flown like a 747 or, you know, like a glider. It would have, it would have been fine. But see, it, so it, it didn't. And now, I'm not, com- I, I, this is not to complain, and I'm not going to qualify any of my statements, but I just want to say this is not to complain. When I got that, I thought, wow, this is, you know, I, I was looking and I called, contacted JD and I was talking to Joe and Eric and I said, you know, what did we do wrong? Well, you know, obviously, you saw on Zero Hedge, or perhaps you didn't, but, but Joe, you just explained it, that, okay, the people in control of the monetization don't want any, they, they, are, they are censoring the content of the videos. Now, you may say, well, that's their right to do that. Perhaps you are correct. Maybe that is their right. For example, we have uh, on our YouTube channel, we've got a chat feature. And to some extent, we monitor and sometimes have to censor the content on our chat uh, channel. The reason we have morons coming in and, you know, using foul language and and, and just uh, spamming and doing all sorts of weird things. So uh, we can't do that. Joe and I can't do that because we're on air. But we have volunteers, and God bless them, to do that for us. So you may say, well, wait a minute, you know, you're censoring content. Well, no, not really. And we do have some standards in terms of topics, and we would appreciate it in that vein that if, uh, you know, rather than push an agenda or an ideology, the the chat feature is, is with the, the purpose it serves is to uh, communicate about the topic being discussed as yeah. opposed to, you know, pushing some theory or maybe it's a pet theory of yours or whatever. Um, it, it's not, yeah, so that that's so we try to be at least understanding with that. But but anyway, um, when you, it would be like with respect to YouTube and, and, and Google and such, they are at a position or they have a position where they're dominant in the Internet community. So it would be kind of like having an electric or a public utility servicing you and saying you can only... Um, use power certain times or you can only use so much power or you can only use the power from that, that we send to your house or in your business if you uh, conform to our belief system. What we're seeing here on the internet and in practice is the establishment of the mark of the beast system. 
I mean, when you cut right to the quick of this, we're seeing the mark of the B system being rolled out, the infrastructure for it. When you look at the larger picture, I'm a big picture kind of guy, so I'm looking at the larger picture. This is how the masses, the people, the population, barring any kind of objection, will be controlled. You don't, if you don't do X, or whatever X might be, if you don't, if you don't profess belief in, in our ways, or our God, then you are not gonna be able to partake in our system. You're not gonna be able to work, for example. You're not gonna be able to eat, or you're not gonna be able to use that your bank card. You're gonna be a, a social and economic outcast. Right? This is what it's leading up to, folks. Mm-hmm. And it's coming like a freight train right into your living rooms. Then whether you like it or not, you'll be placed on one side or the other. Absolutely. See, if you don't decide now, the decision will be made for you. If you don't prepare now, there may not be another time for you to prepare for that eventuality. And I, I this is not to get into the discussion, well, you know, uh, God will take care of me, or, uh, you know, you can't prepare for whatever. Because I do think, yes, God will take care of us. There's an element of spiritual and divine hedge of protection, absolutely. But that doesn't absolve us from our own personal responsibilities. Right, you can't get saved without first taking that step. Asking the Lord into your heart. And it's the same way with everything, how this, how the Lord works. Um, you know, we need to be willing and, and open to it before He will do things in your life. More on the other side. You're listening to Doug and Show Hagman, the Hagman and Hagman Report. I want to thank everyone, each and every one who are listening. We thank you so much for checking in and from Europe and we got a couple of people listening live in Australia. God bless you. New we Zealand. Another new segment coming up before Matt Torella joins us. And one thing I want to talk about is some recent poll numbers. I usually don't put a lot of stock into the polls, but I just seen this on the Real Clear Politics. Trump has a his biggest lead. Guess which state his biggest lead in the polls is? Don't say California. Arkansas. Arkansas. Twenty eight point lead. And that should tell you a lot since Bill Clinton and Hillary were the first family of Arkansas for eight years. <laughs> We're going to talk about about that as well as other news on the other side before our guest Matt Torella joins us in hours two and three. Stay with us. Dobmeyer often says, truth becomes hate speech, or truth is hate speech to those who hate the truth. This is exactly what we're seeing, but it just in an incredible, at an incredible rate now, the, the axe of censorship is out. AX, okay, axe, you know, uh, it's out, uh, and it is being sharpened as we speak. And we're going to be talking about that with our guest the next hour too and how to get around that and how to um, uh, how to fight this tyranny uh, through legal means but 
as we look at this, as we see the playing field develop here, and this is what's taking place, the the playing field is now being prepared for, uh, in my view, the final battle. We're 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 seeing something very interesting and insidious as well develop, and that is, there are people out there, and I, I read something just the other day, and I happened to think about this, and uh, it was written by a, a Canadian who said. Ah, you know, the alt-right, our fringe conspiracy theorists in, you know, uh, America, you're not living under tyranny. And anyone who says that, anyone who says that they're fighting against tyranny is a member of the alt-right and a conspiracy theorist. I thought, wow, okay. Well, you know, isn't it interesting? If you look up the definition of tyranny, what's the definition of tyranny? Being ruled by a, an oppressive, a cruel or oppressive government. Note the oppressive in there. And, and I find it interesting that this is exactly where we're at. It's oppression by means of censorship, by means of uh, lawfare. L-A-W fair. Instead of warfare, it's lawfare. It's a number of different, uh, I, and I don't like the term soft tyranny, but it's subtle tyranny being imposed upon us and, and many of, many of all of you and people like us. When you go to post something on Facebook, for example, or whatever social networking, uh, vehicle you use, if it's not to the liking of the globalist, and I say globalist deliberately, if it's not to their liking, they will censor your post or terminate your, your presence. Yeah, you know, we've got one. Uh, in fact, we, Sunday, when I had, uh, when I was using Facebook, Hagman, uh, our Hagman Report Facebook, I had posted a link to the article I wrote uh, at HagmanReport.com, and Eric, go ahead and uh, put it up if you've got it. And this is what I was sent by a reader saying, "Did you know? Did you know that this was being censored?" So, what we did was uh, I asked Eric to uh, to focus in on the on, on the on the censorship uh, part to show you. And uh, is it up? Okay, so those watching on YouTube can see that, and you can leave that up for a little while, because I, I, I do want people to see it, and it's not about us, it's about you. It's about everybody. This, to those listening via Global Star, uh, or BTR, this is a Facebook, uh, entry that, that this was sent to me. From a, from an individual who said, look, I was trying to share your article about Hillary Clinton's personal 9-11, medically unfit to serve if elected. That was the, the, uh, uh, the title of our story, our article, the article I wrote on Sunday. And the individual who sent me this said, look, this message contains content that has been blocked by our security systems. Why? Well, it, because it was anti-Hillary. They are, and, and 
to those people who, who will send me emails undoubtedly saying, what, you're surprised by this? No. No, I'm not surprised. Joe and I are not surprised. None of us here. And, and I know you're not surprised either. But to anyone, and there are those out there, once, perhaps once respected journalists or self-professed or self-described journalists who, who say, well, you're not, you're not living under tyranny. By definition, of course, tyranny is, you know, well, tyranny does include oppression, censorship. This is this is part of it. Why the big deal? Because this, what you're seeing here, is only going to get worse. Now, the other side of this, very quickly, and then I'm going to wrap this up, is this: as as a program and other programs like ours, perhaps we rely largely on on your support, the listener support, to keep us going. What we've tried to do, what we've tried to do is, is, is supplement our operational cost so we can expand, reach more people, help others as well, send, you know, uh, support causes that we believe in. Um, by, by including advertise, uh, you know, uh, revenue, ad revenue spots. And they've, taken that away or they are taking that away from us so we are really faced with a challenge as a Christian business that we if, if we don't if we don't succumb to the tyrannical and oppressive policies well they're going to hit us in the pocketbook this is lawfare this, to a lesser extent, this is lawfare. This is censorship by taking away our ability to to pay our bills. And again, we are a listener-supported broadcast, based primarily. So we rely now on listener listener contributions. I want to thank everybody, everyone who has who has helped us, either through contributions or prayer or say, hey, what can I do to help? Or passing the word, whatever it might be. We appreciate every one of you. But see, this speaks to the larger picture, and the larger picture is this. Over the next couple of months, this is going to be pretty much in our rear, in everyone's rearview mirror because we are going to be hamstrung. We're not going to be able to, to, to get the truth out through the normal venues. We are preparing now, as everyone should prepare, for Plan B. If we can't use, right now we're using the demonic, the system of the beast to get our message across, to get our message out, to get the information out there. We're going to have to have a Plan B. And we're working on that. Everyone's going to have to have a Plan B. You're going to have to have a Plan B. And prepare. Truth becomes hate speech to those who hate the truth. Coach Dave Dobmeyer. And once more, our Constitution was made only for moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. At the very heart of all of this are the hearts and spirits of the people out there in in this great country, this once great country. One of the reasons we're seeing the influx, the invasion, hundreds of thousands of illegals into this country 
it seems like every other month you're hearing about this. New figures were just released uh, well, the other it, day. It's the intent is to destroy our moral Judeo-Christian fabric and heritage. Michael Savage says borders, language, and culture. All three are targets of the globalists. Mm-hmm. In 2016, the Obama administration set a goal for 10,000 Syrian refugees. I think there's been over about 16,000 that have uh, came into this country in 2016, uh, going well over their goal of 10,000. But next year, the Obama administration has set the bar 10 times higher at over 110,000 yes. Syrian refugees bring, being brought into the United States. And we see the same thing uh, with Germany. And there is a huge backlash against Angela Merkel right now as um, but her popularity still doing it, though, is. Right? Yeah, yeah. And what they're doing in Germany, and I'm trying to get it to pull up on my computer, there was a, a good piece on Bloomberg today that Angela Merkel came out and said this populist movement and the lies of the anti-immigration uh, sediment here in Germany are the min- minority when they are actually... And by far the majority, mm-hmm. and they've pushed her party into a, a third place, um, a third place in the uh, upcoming elections that are going to happen. And that this article is on Bloom- Bloomberg. Merkel pleads for middle ground and bid to shore up uh, the vote. And what has happened is Germany has brought in you know, hundreds of thousands, if not close to a million, immigrants. That Merkel takes aim at populist lies spread through social media. Uh, she goes on to state that the policymakers need to counter the populist lies spread on social uh, spread on social media, and that voters who support the anti-immigration alternative for Germany do not reflect majority opinions. Even though the populist movement that she's speaking out against um, is the majority of the people and says otherwise. They continue to run with the lie. Well, as you posted on HagmanReport.com today, George Soros warns Europe accept accept refugees or face extinction. Now, this is go to HagmanReport.com and check that article out. George mm-hmm. Soros warns Europe accept refugees or face extinction. Not this, a politician, not right. an elected official. This is somebody who is not only behind. Obama and Clinton, um, and he's talked about often in, in uh, political circles <laughs> as wielding, you know, some of the highest influence. And even through the WikiLeaks dump of the DNC, shows the level of influence he has over the Democratic Party, even setting policy and the talking points for the Democratic Party when it comes to issues like immigration and the economy. And he has made threats right. and put his money where his mouth is. Well, He's even launched a recent attack against Sheriff Joe Arpaio um, personally. I mean, it, He's putting his right. money to work as the person who is running against Arpaio does not have the means, uh, the equal means, the millions of dollars in the election fund as Arpaio has. Uh, Soros is stepping up to paint Arpaio as some kind of, you know, racist immigrant hating sheriff who, uh, you know, targets immigrants and sends them home and trying to get this other guy in. But this guy, in reading that article, this guy has so much money in so many different local, state, and federal elections, and he's lining the pockets of so many politicians. It, yep. It's mind-boggling. 
And that's the other side. When you have Soros and people like him, um, many of the billionaires out there, and, and you have entities like the Clinton Foundation, how, how does the Clinton Foundation fit into this? That's the big story here. The Clinton Foundation is, in my view, like a laundering process for money. Mm-hmm. Okay, they, they, it, it, the pay-to-place. Oh, uh, yes, absolutely. Okay. And there's a new uh, interesting article out today about what is happening with the Hillary Clinton campaign and how there is these record amounts of fraud charges coming from a Hillary Clinton campaign systematically overcharging poorest donors. What they're doing is in, uh, Wells Fargo Fraud Department is being inundated with calls from low-income Clinton supporters reporting repeated unauthorized charges. And this article from The Observer goes on to talk about um, this one branch is receiving up to 100 phone calls a day from Clinton's small donors asking for refunds for unauthorized charges. And this one branch is saying that they're paying <laughs> from anywhere from 700 to $1,200 a day in refunds. That's right. Clinton campaign is overcharging donors by the twenty, forty, or sixty dollar mark more than a hundred dollars, but they're doing it at a pace that they're stealing millions of dollars from American people who have donated small amounts to her. The poorest people, they say, of her donation base. That's right, and that's a, that's one thing that I've seen companies do, and especially when when you're involved in the fraud investigations. Companies will uh, rely on small amounts over a greater number of people, like just like this. And this article even says the source said that pornography companies are off, often deploy a similar arrangement uh, to pull money out. We see this scheme a lot with uh, CD pornography companies. The source said the source also notes that dozens of phone calls his department receives daily are from people who notice fraudulent charges on their statement. And they go on to say these people who call us are just the ones who catch the fraudulent charges. I can't imagine how many more are being overcharged by the Hillary Clinton campaign and have no idea. That's, yeah, exactly. In in some cases now, now okay, that's a Hillary and there's campaign. There's not one uh, one uh, accusation or fraudulent bank fraud charge to the Donald Trump campaign that they have tracked, but they say that there are hundreds a day for Hillary Clinton. Exactly, and that's from Wells Fargo. When you, right, chargebacks, and and that's kind of a nightmare in a sense. Except you know, if you're Clinton, that's not really a nightmare. But the chargebacks, that is. But when you're talking about this this whole process here, you're talking about uh, well, you mentioned pornography, and I just want to bring this up. I don't know how many people out there have heard of the dark web. Okay, the the, the and there's a lot of mystique surrounding that. Um, it's it's not just obscure websites on off the internet you can you can access by via google no no you've got to i'm not going to you've got to intentionally get on the dark web and, and there's there's uh, without giving out too much information except to, to say that there are different levels of the dark web and as you get into <laughs> it you know there's a, there's a point as you the deeper you go kind of like you start hitting if you go down We'll just we'll just say the surface of the water separates the regular internet with the dark web, and the sur- at the surface you break the surface, you get into some stuff, you know, some just junk, I guess, and then you go a little bit deeper, you start running into feds everywhere, 
and, and then the deeper you go, the more twisted it becomes. But the reason I, I mentioned that when you're talking about pornography, just a huge business in that dark web area, aside from the most hideous uh, human trafficking and slavery and things like that. I mean, hideous stuff. Things that you, you, there's no way you can unsee when you see it. Um, the currency of the dark web, of course, is Bitcoin. And when you mentioned pornography, there, there's a big business for pedophilia and uh, sex slaves and just the, the most profoundly disturbing things you'd ever want to want to see or hear in the dark web. So having said that, the chargebacks, okay, there are no chargebacks in the, in the dark web, but because, for example, who are you going to complain to if you if you use Bitcoin for for your means of, of currency and you don't get your, your product, which may be child pornography or whatever the product might be. So you can't complain. But there's, there's a vast amount of fortunes being made, and I mean this, fortunes, uh, in the dark web. But I also wanted to segue using that in the dark web, and, and people have heard, and I want to make this clarification because I, I've been meaning to do this for a week now, and I just have, we haven't had the time. You've heard folks of the ISIS kill list, and many people have said, well, who's on this? And there's reportedly 15,000 on the ISIS kill list. Well, when you get into that dark web area, you get into the, um, similar to the old BBS systems. Remember that, folks? If you're, if you're an old person like me, the internet in, in its infancy, there were bulletin board type systems out there. Well, um, there are, I mean, the ISIS kill list exists out there, and kill lists exists out there, whether they're ISIS or just purely Islamic. The reason I brought this up is because, uh, and if you're a church listening to this, please understand and please take, take heed of this. The Muslims in particular are paying money for people to, to people for, um, church directories so if you publish for example if you're a pastor and you publish your church membership or if you have a church directory online with the names of the parishioners or names of the people who belong to your church and their addresses they're Muslims whether they're from the Middle East or on, on this continent will pay money for those lists and that is part of the ISIS kill list that we hear so much about. But it's bigger than that. Um, in the crosshairs are all Christians, and especially in including Christian-owned businesses. Now, I, I mean, I'm not saying this to scare you at all, because it, it's not meant to do that. It's to, it's to heighten your senses and, and awareness. I mean, obviously, we, we're targets because of our, our Christian uh, biased leanings and beliefs. But that's where everything is going, and, and pretty soon that's going to evolve right up into the normal web, shall I say, or the, the, the regular web. Um, if you are, uh, if you are Jew, uh, a Jew or Christian, you're a target. If you have a physical church, you're a target. Synagogue, you're a target. 
And that kind of fits right into everything else because as we see this progress and as we see the violence take root and take hold and increase in this country, in America, what's going to happen is somebody will say, the government will say, look, we have to quell the violence against Christians for the own good of Christians. And, Joe, you and I have talked about this before, for the Christians' own good. What we're going to have to do is we are going to have to uh, establish rules for uh, religious rules. And that does mean diluting diluting the doctrine of Christianity by removing the name of Jesus Christ, for example, out of Christianity. And to admit that we all worship the same God, whether we're Muslim, Jew, or Christian, which is a total fabricated lie. But that's where the incremental steps, I just want to make everyone kind of aware of this as we progress down the timeline. There will come a time when businesses will, it'll be against the law for businesses to be Christian businesses or against policy because that feeds into this bias and it's going to be for your own protection. I don't know if that made sense, but... This is this is where, as as I research this and as we collectively research this, this is where we see all of this going, and it's it's happening faster than I ever thought possible. Go ahead, Joe. Yes, it is. Uh, we just have a few minutes before the break, so we're going to hit a couple of important news items. Clinton has made a campaign stop in North Carolina and returning to the campaign trail. Um, only three day, only after taking three days off for her pneumonia, um, and while talking about media bias and whatnot, during the uh, after the 9/11, Hillary's 9/11, after her collapse, which even Fox News won't even call a collapse, they continue to say near collapse or uh, you know incident. Um, she was back on the campaign trail today, but there is a continuing media bias. And you can tell by the talking points from the Clinton pundits and spokespeople who go on Fox News, MSNBC, CNN, and these other channels. They all have the same talking points, talking lines, and it has filtered all the way down to the local news, even here in our uh, small city. And, you know, that is uh, Clinton wanted to power through, and, you know, she is... Um, and it's just so strange to see. It's not strange, I guess, but when you have media personalities from all these different networks on the the cable news mainstream all the way down to the local using the same phrases the same words defending her propping her up literally um with their words trying to take away from the fact of her real problems and it's even gone further as fox news points out uh a cnn anchor had suggest coverage of clinton's health is sexist and uh, this is after learning the mainstream media during the last eight years of the Obama presidency that seemingly benign phrases and words like Chicago or that one and golf are now deemed racist. Viewers are getting similar lessons when it comes to the Clinton coverage. CNN host Christine Anapur suggested on air that the heavy coverage of the Democratic nominee's health is simply sexist. And this has taken on many other forms and people have been called names for continuing to focus on the health of the presidential candidate and this issue is not going away as Trump has overtaken her in the polls although we don't put a lot of stock in polls um, it, some of the latest numbers that have come out is that he has a six point lead 
nationally. Another interesting, well, we were talking about illegal immigration earlier, and this article I found today, uh, later in the day, about the Department of Homeland Security being accused of sitting on damning border reports as immigration issue uh, continues to drive through headlines internationally. Federal lawmakers are seeking to pinpoint the number of illegal immigrants who have sec- successfully snuck into the southern border, ordered up a report from the Department of Homeland Security, but the agency refuses to release it and instead cites misleading statistics that overstates the number who are nabbed, sources told Fox News. DHS is denying it is holding back the report, but sources say it was completed in November. And it shows roughly half of adults who attempted to cross the border made it, 250,000 in total. But that number is at odds with DHS official estimates. Authorities claim 80% of adults trying to sneak in um, have made it. But the DHS is trying to cover it up along with the Obama administration saying that 30% less or uh, 50% of that 80% actually made it in. And the Obama administration is continuing to suppress the number of illegal immigrants that have not only come in from the southern border, but also, as we talked about earlier, has increased the goals for 2017 to 110,000 in 2017. White House to increase the immigration, Syrian refugee immigration tenfold in 2017 to 110,000 after already um, surpassing their 10,000 goal for this year. And most of these are Sunni Muslims. The amount of Christians is not even equal to a percentage point. And this is something we'll be taking a closer look at in days and weeks and months to come. You're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Up next, Matt Truella will be joining us, thelessermagistrate.com. We're going to be talking about a few of his books and The State is Not God. This will be a great interview coming up next. Stay with us. We do every night, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. Our website, HagmanReport.com. That's HagmanReport.com. From there, you can get show information. Of course, you can go over to Hagman and Hagman to watch the show live. HagmanReport.com. Our guest coming up is going to talk about uh, the doctrine of the lesser magistrates and the defeat of tyranny. Well, if tyranny didn't exist here in the United States, gee whiz, would we have to defeat it? Some say there is no tyranny. I say there is. And it's obvious by the uh, oppression, censorship, the uh, different means to shut up, to attempt to shut up and shut down the uh, conservatives and Christians, people with with conscience and integrity and character. Of course, uh, citing uh, Coach Dave Daubenmeyer, truth becomes hate speech to those who hate the truth. (laughs) How true is that? Uh, you know, note to small business owners, if you own a small business, oh, this is a fantastic tool, a resource. We have, I mean, I've, I've, I've checked this out. I've taken it for a test drive. Or if you're hiring, do you know where to post your job for the best candidates? How about ziprecruiter.com slash free trial? 
well, posting your job in one place is just not enough anymore to find quality candidates. If you want to find the perfect hire, you need to post your job on all the top job sites, and now you can. With ZipRecruiter.com, you can post your job to 100-plus job sites, including social media networks like Facebook and Twitter, all with a single click. You can find candidates in any city, any industry, nationwide. Just post once and watch your qualified candidates roll into ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard, their interface. It's incredible. No more juggling of emails or calls to your office. Quickly screen candidates, rate them, and hire the right person quickly and fast and efficient. Find out why ZipRecruiter has been used by over 1 million businesses. Right now, if you're listening to this sound of my voice, right now our listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash free trial. The doctrine of the lesser magistrates sound Greek to you? No, no, no. It is uh, it is a tool in the toolbox of Christians. Our guest is website lessermagistrate.com. Lessermagistrate.com. It's linked off of our show description. And of course go to hagmanreport.com. Read the uh the article that accompanies tonight's broadcast. There it is, lessermagistrate.com. Our guest, Matt Torella. He's a, he's a pastor of the Mercy Seat Christian Church and the founder of Missionaries to the Preborn. He's become an expert in the doctrine of the lesser magistrates. And, and folks, by understanding this doctrine and employing its principles, we can effectively fight and prevail in the fight against tyranny. That said, Mr. Matt Torella, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report. Great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you. You know, you, uh, <laughs> we've heard so much about you, uh, from, uh, uh, well, from a number of our guests saying, hey, you've got to get this guy on. You've got to get this guy on. Uh, Mr. Trollot, uh, why don't you just take a second and tell us about yourself and, uh, uh, your website to just kind of give us an introduction if you, if you don't mind. Sure. Well, for the website, if people have a hard time wondering how do you spell lessermagistrate.com, they can just go and type in defytyrants.com, and it'll take them to the same website and uh, like find all our information there. But I've, uh, I'm a husband. I've been married 35 years now to my wife, Clara. Uh, we have 11 children and uh, six daughters, five sons, and we have 13 grandchildren, just from the first three that are married so far. We still have a long ways to go with marrying each one off. And I pastor a church. It's called Mercy Seat Christian Church. I've actually been pastoring there for about 27 years now. We have about 175 people in the church. And I head up a mission called Missionaries of Preborn for about 25 years now. And when we started the mission, there were um, 14 abortion clinics in the state of Wisconsin. And now there's only three remaining. So we've really seen God do a great work um, here in our state, and abortion has dropped by over 60% um, in our state during that time also. So that's kind of a little bit, kind of a nutshell of who I am and uh, what we're about. Well, you you know, you have written in, I'll I'll say your handouts, but um, you have written that when a superior civil authority, such as our federal government, makes unjust or immoral laws, policies, or court opinions, the lesser-ranking civil authority 
for example, the governor or sheriff, they've got the right, and not just the right, but the duty not to obey the higher authority and, and if necessary, to actively resist the superior authority. And you you uh, continue by stating that the, this doctrine rests on two foundational principles that have guided Western civilization for over 1,500 years, uh, but have been lost to Christians in the last 100. You know, we are losing because we don't, in my estimation, we don't understand how where the fight is, how to take... Uh, as Christians, we've failed. Uh, and as conservatives, capital C, I believe we've failed. Um, how, where should we start here? Because, uh, well, for, first of all, let me, I'll, I'll kind of turn around and ask you this. Do you believe right now the United States, by definition, is implementing tyranny? Oh, yeah. They've been doing so for decades now. It, the tyranny didn't start with Barack Obama, and it's not going to end with Barack Obama. It's been going for a long time, and it's continuing in that direction. I, okay, I, I, and I'm glad you said that because you know a lot of people will say, "Well, you're just you're just hacked off that you know at, at Obama or Obama's policies." But what we're seeing is this this surrendering, in my view, of. Uh, the uh, many conservatives, and I gave an example earlier about the uh, impeachment of uh, the IRS commissioner, uh, them deciding collectively that oh, we're not going to we're not going to do that at least not right now. If ever, we're not going to impeach him, and we become a lawless nation. And not just that, but I mean abortions and homosexual marriage, which is an oxymoron, um, and other things taking place. I mean, my goodness, you know, and we've said some things too earlier on in, in this program where um, homosexual marriage, it's not a law. Uh, the Supreme Court decisions, it's not law. I mean, courts don't make laws. So where can Correct. we start in this discussion? Um, where can we start? Where's a good place to start in, in this particular discussion well, that we're going to have? Sure. Well, one of the things is because of the paradigm that people have embraced here in America, and we've been taught it, and uh, you know that, well, the Supreme Court has the divine right of kings in our country, and whatever the Supreme Court rules, that's the law of the land, and we all just got to go along with it. So everybody gets caught up in the horse and pony show every four years trying to get their presidential candidate elected, hoping that he will then be able to appoint Supreme Court justices who will then be able to supposedly bring change. Well, our country wasn't founded that way. We're not an oligarchy. The judiciary has assumed powers that it never was granted in the Constitution. They did that on their own through their opinions that they've written over the last 200 years, assumed powers that they were never given. And they've created this thing called judicial supremacy. And they state that judicial supremacy is found in the Constitution in, you know, Article 6, Paragraph 2. But when you go to Article 6, Paragraph 2 of the Constitution, you notice that the Supreme Court isn't even mentioned there. In fact, yes. federal courts aren't even mentioned there. And what has the supremacy there in Article 6, Paragraph 2 is actually the Constitution itself. And every magistrate in America, from a policeman to the president, takes an oath to uphold the Constitution. They don't take an oath of subservience to the federal government. 
They certainly don't take an oath as subservience to the federal judiciary. They take an oath to uphold the Constitution. So in a true federalism, whenever one branch of government decides to play the tyrant, it's incumbent then, more than ever, for all other branches to then resist that branch playing the tyrant. Even if that branch being the tyrant is the Supreme Court itself, it's incumbent upon all other magistrates at the federal, state, county, and local level to resist them. Not to simply say, oh, the federal courts have ruled. All we can do is now is obey. So once people understand that that's a fiction that you're living under, that the courts have created, that we have to obey and whatever the courts say and allow them to take us over the cliff committing national suicide, once you get rid of that, then you realize the importance of the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, that we don't have to just sit here and hand ring and wait for the next four-year cycle to play itself out, which, by the way, you know as well as I do, never seems to really change anything anyway, regardless of which party is in power. So our founders, you know, fought taxation without representation. What we're up against is transformation without representation, where SCOTUS has assumed the divine right of kings and actually thinks all of us should obey and that's what we're all taught and people are realizing they no longer have the convenience of acting indifferently towards the lawless actions of our federal judiciary they must be taken a task they must be reined in and uh, that's why it's important for this doctrine to be taught and for people to understand it 100 percent accurate you know and as listeners, regular listeners of this show know, I mean, we've had Greg Jackson on air talking about this very issue, Coach Dob Meyer talking about this issue, many people talking about it, and deferring to you either on air or off air about this very subject. And, um, we, we have, we have such a deficit, information deficit, I believe, knowledge deficit. You've got people out there walking around saying, well, uh, for example, you know, abortion, law of the land, or infant murder, law of the land, uh, uh, homosexual marriage, law of the land. Nothing could be further from the truth. I guess, you know, starting there, uh, we're, we're brainwashed into believing that a Supreme Court decision is binding upon all subjects all um, citizens of the United States, when in fact it's not. So, um, correct. The Supreme Court, we say that it cannot make law. They cannot make law. So, where are we going wrong here? I mean, what's the function of the Supreme Court? Does it bind all Americans to to a single decision, or is it? Uh, what are the mechanics of it that that we're missing that we're that we uh, we've got wrong? Sure. What they're supposed to do is interpret the law, which is written by lawmakers. You know, Article 1, Section 1 of the U.S. Constitution says that all legislative power resides within Congress. In other words, all lawmaking power resides with Congress. So if they have all lawmaking power, that leaves the judiciary zero lawmaking power. So they're to interpret when cases are brought before them on behalf of the parties, the plaintiffs and the, you know, the defense, um, what the law says. That's their role. That's their function in that regard. Now, if they make an opinion, 
even regarding, you know, two parties that they're having a case over, and it's unjust, immoral, unconstitutional, then it should be opposed and resisted. It should not be giving carte blanche, oh, the courts have ruled, all we can do is obey. And that's where we're at today. Everyone automatically thinks that when the courts make an opinion that that's the law, you have to obey it, and that's simply not true. And that's the, you know, that's the fiction they've created that we have to undo. And that will only be done by stating like what I just stated here and you stated over and over again so that people understand this and so that the magistrates understand their duty to interpose. I tell the state um, magistrates, the county magistrates, the local magistrates that I meet with that this these problems in America, our ills, our immoralities, our injustices, will not be cured in the courts. The court is the tyrant. They're the ones fomenting immorality, decadence, injustice in our land. They have to be opposed. The other branches of government, the executive, the legislative, must defy them and resist them and not simply pay them homage every time they come out with an opinion. And this, by the way, is the lie that the lesser magistrates love to hide behind because, you know, then they're able to wash their hands of some great injustice or some great immorality. Oh, the federal courts have ruled. All we can do now is obey. And everybody believes it. And the pro-family groups tell everybody that's the case. And the pro-life groups tell everybody that's the case. And it's all a fiction. It's all a lie. That's not the case. When you have gross immorality or injustice being proffered by any governmental branch, it's incumbent upon all other branches to resist them well, and wait, to wait, rein them back said, in well, well, out of their tyranny. You, you said pro-life and pro-family groups. Are, are they will, uh, willfully ignorant? or I mean, what's the deal there? Because you just indicted a, uh, our allies, I, I, I thought. Uh, but they're peddling fiction, too? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. They aid and abet this fiction all the time. Like when I present it to pro-life leaders or pro-family leaders, some just don't know. They are genuinely ignorant and don't know that they're propagating, you know, a fiction. But there are others (laughs) well, um, what's going on here? You explain it to them thoroughly, and they still, you know, continue to uphold the fiction to all their followers. I mean, here, think about this. Roe v. Wade, 40 plus years of the slaughter of the preborn, and then we get a Burgerfell, you know, a little over a year ago. And I'm sitting there at my desk, at my computer, on June 26, 2015, when a Burgerfell was ruled upon by the Supreme Court. They published their opinion. And I'm watching as 20-some emails from pro-family Christian groups um, come rolling in to my email box and they're all declaring a Burgerfell to be the law of the land and that homosexual marriage is now the law of the land and of course now we have to fight this and you need to give us your money in order to fight this and then they send good people on a, on a bridge to nowhere on a hamster wheel you know to nowhere where they tell them their only hope now is to get a constitutional amendment on marriage in order to stop what the Supreme Court has done. Well, the pre-born have been waiting for their constitutional amendment 
for four, over 40 years. It's never going to come. The federal government is a tyrant. They're not going to cure the problem. They are the problem. And they're going to do the same. They're not going to cure this thing with marriage either. The lesser magistrates must interpose against the tyrant federal authority. And the people must rally around those magistrates. First, they must prod those magistrates to take a stand. And then when they do, they need to rally around those magistrates um, who are hazarding their lives by interposing against the federal beast. Do you think that the right now the Congress and lawmakers understand exactly what you just laid out, that they have the power to make laws and the Supreme Court only has the power to um, differentiate, you know, which law is being followed and, and what is not versus, you know, the Supreme Court making law? Uh, or is this something that they're they're letting go? Or is this something that they don't know any better that they're letting happen? I think it's both. From my experience talking with con- congressmen and congressional aides, it's both. From my experience, some are just truly ignorant and don't know any of these things. And then there's others, they know full well that that's reality, that that's truth, and that the whole nation's operating under a fiction. But they just go along with the fiction to get along because they have more of an interest in their own well-being, their political careers, and those and, and those types of things, rather than truth, rather than, you know, confronting injustice or confronting massive immorality and stopping it dead in its tracks. And, you know, you look at Congress, and I know they have a 17%, you know, approval rate from all Americans, and that's because they haven't done their job. They haven't reigned in POTUS. They haven't reigned in SCOTUS with their uh, unending, unconstitutional actions. They are a weakling. In fact, they've often aided and abetted POTUS and SCOTUS in their unconstitutional, immoral, and just actions. So they're not doing their job. There is no cure there. Many of those men are bought and paid for. And, you know, the super wealthy own them or whatever. And... That's why it's so important for the lesser magistrates at the state, county, and local level to interpose against the tyranny of the federal government. But again, often what they do is they feign a fight. The federal government does something immoral or unjust, and they fight them. And where do they go to fight them? In their, in their courts, in the federal courts. And 95% of the time, they lose. Every so often, the federal courts throw the states a sop, you know, to make it all look like it's legit or something. But that way, they go back to their people who they know are upset by what the federal government's doing. And they say, oh, look, we fought them. You know, we, we took them all the way, you know, to the federal courts, the Supreme Court, and um, we lost. So now all we can do is obey. And they knew they were going to lose. They just were feigning a fight from the get-go in order to, you know, carry on the fiction to the people back in the states um, who they rep who they represent back in the various districts across their state whom they represent. So we got a lot of work here to do, you know, to get people to understand what's going on so they see that, no, these magistrates, these state officials, county, local, have a duty to stand in defiance of federal tyranny and not just embrace it. And you got to give it to the federal government. They've been really smart on all this because they've 
bought off the lesser magistrates to a large degree through the purse, um, you know, through the government federal teat, if you will. They've bought these local governments off so that they're more interested in doing the bidding of their federal master than they are doing what's right in the sight of God or what's for the benefit of the people that they represent. So we're, we're up against a, a huge paradigm filled with fiction that needs to be undone. Is there a point in history where you can put your finger on and say, you know, this is where it started, or a group of people or uh, a party that, you know, got this, uh, that really flipped our, our uh, system upside down to where we are today? Yeah, it's been going for a long time. Um, I don't know if it was just one point where it took place, probably a multiplicity of points. You know, the Federal Reserve coming in in their early 1900s and, you know, Franklin Delano uh, with his New Deal and and then, of course, Johnson with his Great Society. Those were all massive big points. But much of the groundwork had already been scuttled even prior to that. I mean, even before Thomas Jefferson was dead, when it comes to the federal judiciary, he spent the last 15 years of his life writing extensively against how the federal judiciary had already left its constitutional restraints and how they needed to be reined in and how it would be the undoing of our republic if they weren't reined in. And um, so he was writing about that nearly 200 years ago. And, you know, men will forbear, and so we should. We try all we can to forbear and to remedy and to mitigate the actions of a tyrant and those types of things. But there comes a point where you can't put up with it anymore. And I really believe we reached that. You talk with people, and even the polls show. I mean, Rasmussen came out with a poll not too long ago that 33% of Americans, which is a huge number for our materialistic, self-absorbed, American people, thirty-three percent believe it's thirty-three the state state to openly defy the federal judiciary. So people are realizing no longer the convenience of remaining indifferent towards the unjust or immoral actions of their federal government. They must engage and um, take the beast to task. And the reason I think that this doctrine of the lesser magistrates is just growing leaps and bounds is because when men realize they offer resistance to a tyrant, they want to make sure what they're doing, because all these are good people, they want to make sure what they're doing is legitimate, that it's proper, that it has some semblance. And when they read about the doctrine, they see that it's found in Scripture, that it's been employed by men for the future years. This doctrine has been made by and then the tyranny of the higher civil authority, and it does so bloodlessly, without creating chaos within society. Um, so that's why I think people are rallying around this doctrine and uh, learning about it, getting the book in other people's hands, teaching about it, you know, at little political gatherings of 20 people or 100 people, Christian gatherings. Um, it's amazing to me how this doctrine when I before I wrote this book, you could go to Google, and if you put in lesser magistrate, there was only two pages. <laughs> you know, there's like nothing on the planet that only has two pages on Google. But this thing did. Now you go to it, and there's thousands of pages on lesser magistrate. You know, and so it's amazing how it's been growing and how men are writing about it and see the goodness of it. 
it's a very encouraging. Our uh, folks, our guest is Mr. Matt Truella. His website, defytyrants.com. That's a simple, uh, web, or a simple way to say, uh, you know, the, well, defytyrants.com. Uh, it, it will take you to lessermagistrate.com, lessermagistrate.com, defytyrants.com. Uh, his book, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate, is available there. And, and it, it's an incredible read, folks. If you really want to understand about our troubled times, the massive expansion of the federal government, that's it's a lawless power. Visit his website, lessermagistrate.com or defytyrants.com. His book, uh, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate, really cuts to the uh, chase of, about what we're talking about here. Again, our guest, Mr. Matt Truella. Folks, you're listening to the Hagman and Hagman Report, talking about the spiritual emptiness, the spiritual bankruptcy, the moral bankruptcy, and the federal government running roughshod over the people of America it's its here it, it, and it's only getting worse we're going to be right back right after these messages you just hang right just stay right where you're at He is a pastor of the Mercy Seat Christian Church, as well as an author. Go to lessermagistrate.com, that's lessermagistrate.com, to learn about the doctrine of the lesser magistrate and the defeat of tyranny. Uh, getting into this segment, we uh, I wanted to ask you, uh, have you heard of the, I think it's R.J. Jones, Christian patriotism from the 1900s? No, I have not. Okay, this, uh, it's a, a writing, a, a very interesting writing that talks about the uh, conflict between being a Christian and, and national, nationalism and patriotism. And it kind of goes along with what, with some of the, what I've seen that you're working on here. Um, and it's a very interesting, um, uh, to see. But where do we go from here? We, we're talking about how the Supreme Court has changed the, the rules of the game, really, by allowing itself to create and change law when that power only resides in the uh, Congress and in the Senate, and how the Congress and Senate will not uh, are not taking that responsibility. And you mentioned something earlier how it's the lower magistrate courts that need to take back um, and change, or yeah, take back and uphold the law, something that the Supreme Court has not. And we've seen such a shift in the last hundred years, as you point out from the local elections where change can be affected to presidential elections. How do we get people, especially Christians, to not only become active in the political system, but realize that the uh, smaller elections, that the local elections is how you affect change versus uh, this, you know, circus or dog and pony show that we see as the presidential elections today? Yeah, very difficult to do, very difficult to get Christians involved in civil government matters or political matters at all. And that has a lot to do with the form of Christianity that we have in this country. Um, it's rooted in pietism, and I don't, I'm not talking about piety. 
wanted to move Christianity from having anything to do with the public realm to the purely private realm. And they've successfully done it. I mean, we've pretty much, you know, the, the stand the Christian's taking now is to have the word Christ in Christmas. You know, that's their not realizing it's precisely the form of Christianity that they've embraced that's brought us to this point that that's the hill they're dying at now um, because they refuse to get involved in civil government matters. And the truth is we must, as Christians, be engaged in the matters of civil government because civil government is one of the great governments God has established. He established family government, family and civil government, and civil government, which are with the individual government. So it's incredibly important for Christians to be involved in matters of civil government, and unfortunately the pulpits in America have taught them not to have anything to do and so that's unspiritual. That's things. In fact, they've created a whole host of slogans, you know, to um, prop up um, their Over 40 million 
murdered pre-born children, divorced for any reason or no reason at all. Um, two men or two women can marry. And the latest tyranny of the federal courts, of course, is making sure that males can go into females' bathrooms and females can go into male. It's not going to stop. The tyranny is just going to continue while these guys play their little religious sideshow over here in the corner. I mean, to me, it's an absurdity. The reason I'm involved as a pastor and as a Christian on behalf of my preborn neighbor is because I'm a Christian. <laughs> you know, it's a, if I didn't know Christ, I really wouldn't care, you know, about what's happening to the preborn. And so I find it astounding that um, they have no hatred for evil. They have no love for Christ. They have no love for neighbor. So I guess I said all that to say very difficult to get Christians involved. One thing I have found encouraging is when it comes to this doctrine of the lesser magistrate, I have run into clergymen who've never been involved in quote-unquote political or civil government matters ever in their life, and this helped them bridge the gap to see that, okay, yeah, it actually is true. God's Word does speak to all matters of life, including matters of civil government. He has something to say about that, and here's a great tool that men and Christian men have employed down through the ages in order to rein in tyranny when it raises its ugly head in a nation. Um, so, yeah, I, I guess if I knew the answer to your question, uh, I would give it to you. I, I just, all I can say, it's so difficult to overcome what's been built by American Christianity in regards to making sure Christians stay away from civil government matters. You know, great answer. Um, it, it, as I look at this, as I look at the landscape of our country, and really of the West, we see the influx of Muslims into this country. I, I will contend that that is being done deliberately to dilute and to rend the fabric, the culture, the uh, religious heritage, the spiritual heritage of our country, uh, of, of our population. It's it's being done. To, it's a weapon. Islam has been weaponized, and it's a weapon that's being launched against the West. That's my feeling. Um, but I see another problem here as well, and and I'd like your take on this. The it seems like the people of America, many and of the West, and we've got listeners all over the world, but it seems like a lot of people are giving up not believing or giving up believing in God they 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 are they're saying you know what religion is the bane of of everything you see um and, and I see these these postings the forums that that get numerous you know thumbs up well wars are caused by you know all religions and and religions is at the religion is at the epicenter of of all conflict, and and I'm starting to see a lot of blame being cast against Christians, as well as mm-hmm. uh, Muslims and such. What's your take on that? Are, are we seeing this grow? This sentiment grow? Oh, absolutely! All you have to do is read the comment section, you know, on news articles dealing with homosex, abortion, transgenderism, or anything like that. The vitriol of the wicked. Um, against Christ and Christianity is just massively growing. And you know what you mentioned about how governments bring in widely diverse people, widely diverse beliefs and backgrounds and things like that in order to weaken the fabric of society. That's something governments have done all the way back to the time of the Babylonians. And that's 
I, I agree. That's precisely what our federal government's doing at this time. That's their agenda. Um, the only silver lining in it for us is to uh, bring the gospel uh, to these people um, as they're brought into our country. Unfortunately, not enough of that is happening. Um, I go to the universities a lot to do ministry there and to talk with young people and to try to win them to Christ and to give them a Christian uh, worldview. Because, let's face it, if I just knew about Christianity with what's popularly out there, available for the most part, I probably wouldn't want anything to do with Christianity either. <laughs> you know, So it's like it's really so important that Christians you know, go to yeah. the um, people and present the gospel. We, I've been out there where, you know, there's a dozen or 50, you know, around me for hours and going back and forth. And when I'm done after about three or four hours, they'll shake my hand and they'll say, that was the best defense of Christianity I've ever heard of in my life. You have given me so much to think about. So th- these, are the, these are the things we need to be doing as Christian people, is going to the people themselves. When you look at the apologists of old, you know, 150 A.D. to 300 A.D., they were writing because Christianity was being demonized, maligned, misrepresented by wicked people. And they're called university professors in our day. <laughs> and um, so the <laughs> yeah, apologists, right. yeah, the apologists wrote, you know, in order to give the truth. And when you read their writings, they always made their apologies um, addressed to the local magistrate or to a chief magistrate or the emperor himself. And then, of course, to the people, because they wanted the um, magistrates to know the truth about Christianity and hopefully maybe win some of them to Christ. And of course they wanted the people to know also. And I view that as extremely important for us to be doing in our day. um, Those of us um, who want to be faithful to Christ, uh, Mm -hmm. that we do educate people in the, in the, in the faith. It's, it's extremely important. Um, now, Now you've got a number of books out folks. We're talking to Mr. Matt Truella defytyrants.com lessermagistrate.com website all one website but uh, he's written uh, a couple of books and by the way folks yeah, I, I spent a lot of time at that website he's got tremendous resources there information and one of the things I, I came across was the and correct me if I'm not pr- pronouncing this right the Magdeburg Confession is that is that correct? yes Okay. you pronounced it exactly correct Okay, what is that? Because I'm, I'll bet you a lot of people, most people, haven't heard about that, the Magdeburg Confession. No, most people, I mean, it's a, actually was a Lutheran confession, which 98% of Lutherans have never heard of. Um, mm-hmm. What happened was, as I was preparing my work on the Doctrine of Lesser Magistrate, I kept coming across scholars talking about the first time it was formalized as a doctrine was in 1550 in Magdeburg, Germany, in a document known as the Magdeburg Confession. The doctrine itself had been practiced by men for thousands of years. You see it both within pagan nations showing it's natural to man. You also see it throughout the Old Testament. You know, John Knox um, wrote probably the best treatise on the doctrine of lesser magistrate ever in 1558. He cited over 70 passages of Scripture in establishing the doctrine sound in the Word of God. Um, but the I just wanted to read this Magdeburg Confession. I knew it was written in Latin. 
I knew it had been translated into German and sent throughout the Holy Roman Empire. And I just wanted to read it in English because I don't read Latin. I don't read German. So I spent eight months talking to scholars, librarians, historians across America and Europe, trying to track down an English translation. Had several along the way tell me, I don't think there's ever been an English translation. Well, we determined there never was. And um, a friend of mine from... Um, Concordia University has expertise in rare works, actually tracked down a 1550 original in the Bavarian State Library in Munich, Germany. And then we had Matthew Colvin, who has a PhD in Latin and Greek literature from Cornell University, do the translation work. And um, George Grant wrote an introduction. I wrote a foreword. And we published it um, before I published my work uh, because it's just a massively important work. It's the first time the doctrine of the lesser magistrate was formalized. We call it a doctrine because it's a doctrine established by Christian men in this Magdeburg Confession. I'm telling you, the story behind how the confession came about is just unbelievable itself. Uh, I could give you a real thumbnail sketch of that if you'd like. Um, oh yeah, please How do. that came about. Sure. Um, well, in 1546, after Luther died, Charles V, Holy Roman Emperor, tried to re-Romanize all the Protestant lands and bring them back under um, Roman Catholic doctrine and rule. Well, most um, Lutherans went along with it. In fact, even Melanchthon went along with it, the heir apparent to um, Luther. He went along with it, but other Lutherans didn't go along with it. And some were exiled, some were actually executed. And uh, But there was this one city who defied the empire. So it's a story about a city defying an empire, Magdeburg. And Magdeburg was no small city, 30-some thousand people, had the thickest walls in all of Germany, of any city. And their magistrates had sat under the pulpit of a man named Nicholas von Amsdorf for over 25 years. Now, Nicholas von Amsdorf, Martin Luther, and Peter Melanchthon were all best of friends way back from the time of the university when they were students at in Wittenberg. And um, in fact, Katie von Bora, before you know Martin Luther was anything to her, she became his wife, of course, um, said there's only two men on the whole planet that I would ever marry, and that is either Nicholas von Amsdorf or Dr. Martin Luther. That's how highly she thought of Nicholas von Amsdorf. And Luther thought so highly of Nicholas von Amsdorf that when Magdeburg, Germany, became the first city in all of Germany to embrace the Reformation, he put Nicholas von Amsdorf in the pulpit there in the city of Magdeburg, Germany. That's how highly Luther himself thought of him. In fact, von Amsdorf was with Luther. You remember the story how Martin Luther came back from being tried yep. as a notorious heretic in Worms yes. in 1521. And on his way back, um, Frederick the Wise, elector of Saxony, directly under Charles V, under orders to arrest Martin Luther, instead exercised or demonstrated the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, and instead feigned Luther's arrest and put him in the castle there in uh, Eisenach, the Wartburg Castle, and Luther translated the New Testament into German, actually united the German people for the first time. They had a common language instead of all these various dialects. And um, Nicholas von Amsdorf was with Martin Luther when that happened. Martin Luther didn't even know it was going to happen. 
Nicholas von Amsdorf was privy to it. He knew it was going to. So here he saw the doctrine of the lesser magistrate lived out before his eyes in 1521 with what Frederick the Wise did. Here it is, you know, 30 years later, and he says, we're not going along with this. And the magistrates defy the emperor, and Nicholas von Amsdorf and the eight other ministers there in Magdeburg wrote this Magdeburg Confession to show from Scripture and history that their magistrates were right to defy the emperor. So it's an unbelievably phenomenal document. If it hadn't been for the interposition of Magdeburg, Germany, probably the entire Protestant Reformation would have just been a little blip on the radar screen of history because the city came under siege by Charles V and they were under siege for 13 months and they killed over 4,000 of Charles's men 468 Magdeburgers were killed but in the end they won in fact the guy Maurice of Saxony who was leading the charge against the Magdeburgers under Emperor Charles V turned against Charles V and um, that's how the day was won so that the Magdeburgers weren't defeated. So had that had they not interposed, likely the whole entire Protestant Reformation would have twilighted and ended right there. So you see how important this is, this doctrine of lesser magistrate. Absolutely. And this is almost like a call to arms, I guess, in a sense. In a right? sense, yeah. Like okay. their whole point at first, of course, was to do it bloodlessly, to interpose. And mm-hmm. you, when you read the Magdeburg Confession, they told the emperor, we are the best of citizens. We're better than the guys who say they'll obey you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> but they're just doing it for brown-nosing reasons. We actually will, except we can obey you in this area, you know, that you want to destroy our faith, that you want to do uh, immoral and unjust actions against our people. Um, so they did everything they could, and when you read history, when this doctrine is employed, often the tyranny of the higher authority is reined in bloodlessly. In this case, it was not. But if it had not been for the stand of interposition they took, yeah, Protestant Reformation might have been squashed. And, and so, so that sets up, that that's the uh, backdrop for the doctrine of the, of the lesser magistrates. And that gives us the... Yeah, that's for the Magdeburg Confession, the first right. time it was formalized as a doctrine. Yeah. Gotcha. And, and that, that, that sets up the, uh, gives us the template or the playbook from which we as Christians can and should operate. Um, our position, it gives us our position, uh, uh, the righteousness yep. of our position. Okay. Perfect. All right. Uh, be, next hour, what I would really like, the, we'd like to get into is how we can apply everything that we've talked about into action because I, people are looking for answers today. I'm looking for answers. Okay. You know, uh, and I know you've, you've touched on all of this and, and got into this. Folks, we're talking with, uh, Matt Truella, his website, lessermagistrate.com or defytyrants.com. Three, uh, three books, right? You got three books? Uh, no, just two. The Magdeburg Confession two. and Lesser Magistrate, the Lesser Magistrate gotcha. Doctrine. All right. Yep. Two books there. And of course, just a, a number of resources and a number of, uh, articles and reports uh, off of his website. Now, the we're, we're living a lie. I, I guess it's really simple. We're living a lie here in a, in the United States of America and throughout the West, but specifically in the U.S., we're living a lie, and we're exporting that lie. 
uh, that that well abortion, homosexual marriage, any kind of perversion. It's now the law of the land. Everything's been redefined. Uh, good has been declared, or evil has been declared good, and uh, evil has been is being tolerated. And, and I often say this: America does not suffer from a uh, uh, suffer from intolerance, but we tolerate too doggone much. And yes, that's where we're at right now, right? You, you yep. know, so, and and the perversions. For example, the the target, uh, the the businesses target uh, for being one business uh, catering to this minority. Uh, well, that, that's that's one question, I guess, too. That I'll ask you, just to, if nothing else, reaffirm my belief. H- how is it possible that we have come to this point where three uh, percent of the population, if that, has been able to completely deconstruct uh, our morality? You know, I mean, three percent reference now to homosexual or the LGBT community. They they've been successful in uh, deconstructing our uh, morality, I guess. Or, you know, what's that about? How are they able to accomplish this so readily? Because it never takes a majority to establish public opinion, or pardon me, public policy in the nation, and. What's happened with what they've accomplished just proves it yet again. I I learned a long time ago that the vast majority of men, 85% of them is what I think, will only care about three things their whole life, me, myself, and I. And as long as their materialism is there, their latest game to play, their latest sports show to watch, and uh, their six-pack of beer or their endless let's study the Bible but never act upon a Bible study, um... As long as all those things are there, yeah, they'll go along with anything. Just give them those few items and they're good to go. So it is always a small minority that establishes public policy in the nation. In fact, there's a sermon that I preach called A Theology of Guerrilla Warfare, uh, which is at our website, defytyrants.com. Just go under sermons and you can listen to the sermon there where I go into this at length pointing out both biblically and historically, um, A, God, you know, God likes using small numbers of men to accomplish his purposes in the earth, and he does it over and over and over again. And uh, so you don't need a majority. We don't need 51%, you know, or anything like that. 3% is pretty big. <laughs> you know, it's pretty big. I even looked at, you know, the during the Revolutionary War, Usually the Patriots had no more than 6 to 8% of the population in their corner. And, and the um, Brits had about the same in their corner. The vast majority, again, only cared about themselves. They didn't really care who ruled. You know, as long as it was, you know, it's all about me, myself, and I. And so um, the outcome of what a nation embraced regarding public policy is small. And unfortunately, we have amongst the pulpits in our country, as I talked about earlier, this this entire endeavor to neutralize any Christians from being involved in the public realm. But once you remove all the good people from, you know, matters of civil government, the void's going to be filled with purely wicked people, and they've imposed their worldview on the rest of the nation. That's how they've pulled it off. Absolutely correct. And when that 3% is so vocal that the other side 
uh, is and is pacif and the other side is pacified, you get the results that we see today. The policies being changed by the slim minority. Folks, you're listening to Matt Torella. His website, lessermagistrate.com. Order his books, The Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrates and The Magdeburg Confession. Again, lessermagistrates.com. We'll be right back with Matt Torella after this short break on this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Stay with us. That's right, HagmanReport.com, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern weeknights. That's You can hear us every weeknight, 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern, right here on the Global Star Radio Network, Blog Talk Radio, BTR, and, of course, live on YouTube. I want to thank each and every one of you for joining us. Thank you so much for your support, uh, for your kindness, uh, your emails, my goodness, your, your letters and cards that you've sent. Read them all. They're just tremendous. And th- thank you for everything you've done and, and being a part of our lives. Um, our guest, Mr. Matt Truella, his website, lessermagistrate.com, defytyrants.com as well. Two books. Two books referencing the Doctrine of the Lesser Magistrate and the Magdeburg Confession. Interesting. These are tools now uh, to help us fight the the perversion of our laws. Well, I shouldn't even say that. That's, that's an incorrect statement. The perversion of the perception of our laws. Folks, uh, let me ask you something here. As we prepare to saddle for battle, as we are saddling for battle, let me ask you, how are your preps doing? Have you checked your pantry lately? What about, oh, I don't know, your long-term storable food? Well, AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com is is the place to go for long-term storable food. They've got some amazing buys right now. You know, one of my favorites is the is the uh, freeze-dried pineapple, 38 servings. Oh, is that is that good? I eat that right out of the can. And they've got some pretty hard-to-get items right now in their food supplies. Uh, so, some pretty hard-to-get stuff here. But the Thrive brand that they've got, I don't think you'll find any better prices anywhere other than AmericanSurvivalWholesale.com. Uh, for example, the uh, right now, and this is something I'm looking at, myself here. When I'm looking at my pantry, I'm looking at the uh, uh, what we're short on. Well, certainly the egg powder, for example. It's it's not that easy to, to get, especially the non-contaminated, if you will, things like uh, uh, egg powder. How about mashed potatoes? 22 servings. Just, I mean, under 8 bucks for a pantry size care of a large number 10 can? Absolutely. Um, are they, just go to americansurvivalwholesale.com and check out the Thrive brand products, the uh, pancake mix. And all of these can be held, uh, stored for well over 20 years, so you don't have to worry about uh, food spoilage. This is your answer to survival preps, americansurvivalwholesale.com. That's americansurvivalwholesale.com. Getting back to our guest, we 
um, Mr. Trilla, I'm going to thank you so much for, for holding uh, over with us and, and thank you for your time and getting this out, getting this information out because we sure. really have a problem in this country and, and across, and we're exporting the problem to all across the West. How in the world do we address it? We've got to, we've got to saddle, in my words, we've got to saddle for battle. We've got to push back. We've got to look out for the rights of the preborn, as you put them, as you put, uh, describe them. We've got to, stop the madness we've got to stop this putting our children in harm's way where we've got perverts potential perverts potentially uh, uh, you know using the same facilities shower rooms as our daughters young daughters young sons and grandchildren i mean this is madness uh what do we do Help us map map this out. How we can fight this madness and tyranny? And and by the way, I just want to say one thing before you answer this question because I this really tripped my trigger, folks. When when I saw this this uh, the reference by this intellectually bankrupt individual out there saying, "Oh, you know, America, uh, you're still free. You still got the First Amendment. You still got your guns. You're not under tyranny." Okay. Really? I don't know what your definition of tyranny is. Now, uh, you know, stop me because I'm going to get, yeah, I'm going to go on a rant here. So, um, but what do we do, Mr. Trello? What do we do? How do we fight this? Well, one of the things we have to do is engage our, our magistrates at the state, county, and local level. And that's one of the things that's been good about this doctrine is people have been learning about it. They've begun to do exactly that. You have to make relationship with these men and women. You have to sit down with them and explain this doctrine to them. And, uh, you know, we have other helps that you can give. Some people don't like to read. You know, we live in that culture. We have little videos available at our site, two to three minutes long, that go over the um, main tenets of the doctrine, you know, if, um, if that works better. And... Um, you know, and then of course the book itself, um, really engages. But what I found is, is a lot of, um, there's a lot of people out there who are magistrates who love to talk about political theory. They love to talk about how our government's out of control. It's too big. We need to limit it. This is what I'm for. And then when you ask them, so how do you exactly do you see that taking place? They're kind of like stunned. You know, like, and then when you tell them, well, you actually have a blueprint on how that can be accomplished, it's called the Doctrine of Lesser Magistrate. Here's how it unfolds here in the United States um, regarding what our founders established regarding a true federalism. Oh, then it's totally crickets. You know, they don't like, they love to talk about theory all day and, you know, the slogans that get them votes, but when it comes to actual application, um, yeah, they don't want to talk about that. So there's those kinds of guys out there. But at the same time, I got to tell you, if you ask my family, I'm one of the most pessimistic people on the planet. <laughs> they can't believe <laughs> how encouraged I've been over the last year and a half as I've traveled around. I've been invited into 11 um, states now to talk to the attorney general, to legislators. I preached a sermon to legislators in Montana um, to talk to lieutenant governors, to talk to governor's men. They invite me in. I, I didn't solicit any of it. They, they, they've heard about this from somebody, and they want to learn about it. And the reason they want to learn about it is they realize we have a federal government that is totally out of control. 
and it has to be reined in. And so they want to see what the doctrine teaches, how it could practically be applied in our day. And they want to know, you know, what's the federal beast going to do if we interpose, if we defy them? And we do know some of the things they'll probably do, but we can't know everything. Um, So the main thing is to try to set policies and establish yourself prior to interposing so that you can mitigate the response of the federal beast against your interposition. But here's what the first thing I tell all of them is I tell them, before we get into what we can do um, in regards to actual application of interposition, first I want to tell you what will happen if you don't do anything. You know, if you like if that. you don't yeah. interpose, yeah, exactly. If you don't interpose, you afford the tyrant beast the opportunity to begin to establish the next plank of his tyranny, and that's what this federal government has been doing for decades now, because everybody just keeps backing up, stepping back, retreating step by step, and the federal beast takes the ground. It's only when good men do what's needed and necessary, hazard their lives to a certain extent, and defy the beast. You cannot appease a bully. You learn that early on when you're a kid in school. You have to confront a bully. That's the only thing they understand. And so these magistrates must confront the federal beast because what that does is it causes the tyrant to come out of his lair. He has to deal with these good men who are taking a stand. And so he's not able to get the cover he gets when good men do nothing. If good men do nothing, he gets to stay in his lair, everybody goes along with it, he starts the next plank of his tyranny. If good men take a stand, oh, he has to come out and do something to them, which exposes the tyrant, makes him show his fangs, and exposes him for what he is to more people. So it's extremely important for the magistrates to interpose and take action um, against the federal tyrant in our day. Okay. All right. And it's so important because not just magistrates in the positions as you describe them as governors and sheriffs and in positions of power far below the federal government, but also this applies, in my view anyway, this applies to Christian leaders to, uh, well, obviously Christian leaders can't, uh, they're not in a position to enforce which are which you're referencing here the law uh, such as a sheriff would be able to but we right. got but their we're, duty we're is, is to rally the right there you go. exactly yeah. and you have okay. I have a chapter in my book on the role of the people regarding the doctrine of lesser magistrate and the role of the people is massive first off usually the magistrates well, we'll never do what's needed and necessary unless the people prod them to do what's needed and necessary. There's very few Judge Roy Moores in this world, okay, who will just do it because they fear God, they love their neighbor, they love Christ, and they'll defy the time. Very few Judge Roy Moores. Most of these guys need to be prodded. So that's the first role of the people is to make sure they prod their magistrates to take a stand against the tyranny of the tyrant authority, and then to assure them that they will give of everything they have, you know, of their possessions, of their very persons, of their prayers, rallying around the magistrate when he does take a stand. And that's the goodness of the doctrine. One of the goodnesses, it 
helps form relationship between the people and their more near lesser magistrates like state, county, and local officials. And that's extremely important. They need to know, and I, I talk to magistrates all the time, they'll tell you how much they hear from the wicked people and how they rarely ever hear from the good people. And that's a sad state or testimony regarding the Christian people in this nation. But again, it goes back to the pulpits, neutralizing everybody, thinking that's unspiritual to have anything to do with governmental matters. In fact, I address that um, mentality and take it to task full bore in my book. I have an appendix entitled, The Laws of a Nation Should Mirror the Law and Justice of God. And what I show in there is the importance of the magistrates to make good law that mirrors uh, the law of God. Because if the magistrates make law which is contrary to the law of God, what it does is it gives people the opportunity to ignore or to justify their sin. But, so like when it comes to killing the preborn, or like when it comes to homosex activity, those types of things, when they're made illegal, as they are in God's law, then people more readily see them for what they are, recognize their guilt before God and their need for Christ. But when the magistrates spit in the face of Christ, do something totally contrary to that, as they have in our country, then it allows people to justify or ignore their sin. So the importance of the magistrates and regarding these matters is hugely important. But the pietist you know, he thinks, oh, that's all mere moralizing. That's all a mere waste of time. What they don't understand is, no, that's important, too, because all three great governments that God has established, which are family government, church government, and civil government, all have the duty to make known the knowledge and glory of the Lord. And they all work in some fashion to point men to Christ. We as the church, of course, point them directly through the preaching of the gospel. Turn from your sin. Believe in Jesus Christ. Family government points people to Christ. And even in the laws that a family makes, points the young children to Christ. We teach our children, don't steal. If they do steal, there's a sanction for it. And so it is with civil government. They, too, by the laws which they make, by the function that God has given civil government help men see their need for Christ. So when they, they make law which is contrary to the law and word of God, first off, William Blackstone said, whenever that happens, it shouldn't be suffered amongst us. And this was the thinking of Western man for nearly 1,500 years. Whether you read, um, uh, you know, oh, golly, um, you know, John of Salisbury in the 12th century, or you, or you read William Blackstone in the 18th century, they all pointed to God's law as the higher law of which all men are accountable and all governments of men are accountable. accountable. So Blackstone, who was the most cited legal scholar by America's founders, said that whenever laws made contrary to the law of God, it should not be suffered amongst us. But unfortunately, the Christians have totally abandoned the field, and so they're not involved in the political process, which is extremely important when it comes to the doctrine of lesser magistrate, because again, you must rally 
your magistrates. I'd start out my book, if I could, um, with a story about Governor Publius Petronius. And in 39 AD, Caligula was the emperor at the time. If you know anything about him, he's like tyranny personified. And he got ticked yeah. off at the Jews. And so he decided that he was going to get a statue of himself made and placed in the temple there in Jerusalem. So he made a law of the emperor, sent it to Governor Petronius, who was the governor of Palestine at the time, and ordered him to make the statue and place it in the Jewish temple. Well, Governor Petronius had the statue made and planned on having a place there. The Jews got wind of it, and the Jews went to Governor Petronius and said, don't do this. This is immoral. We cannot live in peaceful coexistence with this desecration of our temple. You know, don't obey the law of the emperor. He responded by saying, well, I'm going to obey because I want to live. Well, these Jews weren't like, you know, your average good American who wrote his one letter and, oh, well, it didn't change. I'm back to my materialism. No, these people didn't go home. They, they actually ignored their fields, which needed planting at that time. In fact, more and more of them kept coming to, they reached the numbers of, according to Josephus, of 30,000 men, women, and children demonstrating before the governor, remonstrating before him, saying, don't do this. He even removed himself from Ptolemy, where he was, over to Tiberias. They followed him there, and they laid their necks down before him and said, kill us now. It's better that we be dead than the emperor put his statue in our temple. Well, finally, Governor Petronius, from the prodding of the people, relented. And he gathered them, called them to where he was. 12,000 Jews showed up. And there was about 12,000 uh, Roman Legion soldiers there when they arrived at the arena where Governor Petronius called them. So they didn't know it was going to happen. They were like, oh, wow, are we going to get killed here or what? And Governor Petronius stood up. You know, you had the Jews on one side, Roman Legion on the other. And he read the law of the emperor, which resistance to that law regarding the statue was death. And then he rolled it up and he walked out and stood, showing his interposition, stood between the Roman legions and the Jews and declared that he would not obey the law of the emperor and that he would send word to the emperor exhorting him to rescind his law. Well, he did that. And when Emperor Caligula got the letter from Governor Petronius, he, of course, was outraged in good tyrant fashion. And he sent word by ship back to Governor Petronius to kill himself. Well, in God's providence, two weeks later, Caligula's Praetorian Guard assassinates him. And fortunately for Governor Petronius, the ship carrying word for him to kill himself arrived after the ship carrying the news that the emperor had been assassinated. And the statue never was placed in the temple. It's a great story of the doctrine of the lesser magistrate, and it shows how important the people are. So what you brought up about the clergy, oh, yeah, they are massively important. In fact, I'll tell you this. There's more clergy. Uh, there's, there's some magistrates that are getting this. Uh, uh, just this last week, I received an email from a man, and he wants a thousand of my books. <laughs> a thousand. Okay, that's pretty phenomenal. To put in the hands of pastors. So I call him up. I find out that he's a legislator in a certain state. I'm not going to tell you what state it was. And the governor of the state is going to start holding meetings in his 
mansion inviting all the pastors of the state to come. If you know anything about pastors, oh, I get to go to the governor's mansion. Oh, yeah, they'll go. Yeah, they'll be there. And they want to put my book into the hand of every pastor that comes to these series of meetings that they're going to hold. Somebody in this governor's entourage gets it, and he understands the importance of the people and the importance of the clergy understanding this doctrine in order to see interposition accomplished. So I think things are building. There's nobody controlling the strings at one point. This is totally decentralized. I'm astounded. People send me stuff all the time, people writing on the doctrine, pastors preaching on the doctrine, people holding meetings, teaching others about the doctrine, people putting the book into you know, libraries and on and on. It's just really amazing um, to watch. And I don't look at the majority of the people who are doing nothing. I don't. I look at the handful of people who are doing something. <laughs> because, again, we don't need a majority um, in order to see things change in our nation, nor will we ever have a majority um, in that regard. That's true. So well, I'm sadly, very encouraged. We, you, know, you know, sadly, we have the numbers. We could win simply on the numbers or by the numbers because of, uh, I mean, we outnumber them. But it's you're right. It's not going to It's not gonna happen. And mm-hmm. now, uh, okay, so... If in the practical application of this, because we talk, you know, people will say, "Well, you guys talk a great talk, but you know, what um, what have you done?" And and I'm kind of results oriented to some extent uh, with respect to. I mean, we we can only do so much, but I also look at at you know the results. Um, case in point, for example, the Center for Medical Progress when they went in to expose the sale of baby parts, allegedly. I guess I have to say that, you know, with all this lawfare that's going on, um, allegedly at Planned Parenthood, when the Center for Medical Progress went in there and exposed this, what, a year ago this past July. Um, um, I mean, this is a good thing, but it, it, it just amazes me to see the inactive, you know, I guess I'm kind of going where where you said, yeah, I don't pay attention to those. But, but you know, Planned Parenthood was exposed a year ago, this past July, selling baby parts by, uh, allegedly selling baby parts by the Center for Medical Progress. But what do we do? I mean, what can we do to further, uh, help me out here, what can we do to um, continue that fight? Wow. Oh. Oh. See that? You know what? And, and, and ladies and gentlemen, uh, we're, we're going to get the call back. That was Matt Chirella that dropped off here. But isn't it interesting? And p- people may say, well, it just happens, you know. I don't believe in coincidences and uh, anymore. I don't believe in coincidences. You know, we're talking about a very volatile issue. Remember the picture with Hillary Rodham Clinton holding up uh, holding the hands with the, the Planned Parenthood director saying, yes, we won. It's, you know, it's a victory. Uh, we're, we're talking about a, a hot button issue here with respect to Planned Parenthood, Hillary Clinton, especially in this election cycle. Um, yeah, so, and you know. Back. All right. Sorry about that, brother. I, you know, sure. it's, it's interesting, but what can we do to, to further, to advance this? Uh, I mean, I, I want to go, go to my sheriff. And say, look, you know, if, if there was a Planned Parenthood facility, for example, in our, in our county, I'd want to go to the sheriff and say, you know what? There's murders taking place over here. Close them down. Use your, use your 
ability as as a lesser magistrate, as a, as a sheriff, to close Planned Parenthood down. There's murders taking place over there. But exactly, would that, would that work? I mean, oh yeah, does it work? I'm telling you, it's so important. You know, like people say, well, you know, Joe Smith over here already talked to the sheriff. Why should I talk to him about this? Because he needs to know how there's more than just Joe Smith who understands this doctrine and expects him to apply it. <laughs> you know, gotcha. he needs to see more and more people coming and talking to him. So I always tell people that, you know, if you have, there's 20 of you, all 20 of you make separate appointments. Going, He needs to hear it over and over again. You know, here in my own county, believe it or not, they actually asked me to present the doctrine of the lesser magnet, and they invited the public in. And we ended up with about 54 people there and about 15 uh, magistrates of all different sorts, mm-hmm. from state legislator to the sheriff. And, and I've maintained, I've sheriff since then, that he loved to learn more about to learn more duties. And how we're, and so information, this knowledge, that's kind of where we're at, hugely important. At the same time, we need to see acts of interposition, and we have. I'll share an example with you. Um, a year ago, June, I spoke on this doctrine in Idaho. Two legislators showed up there, and two legislators watched by, they were broadcasting it. And the sheriff wouldn't come. He thought, oh, that's too radical. So he didn't come. Well, get this, just seven weeks later, a Vietnam veteran was having his guns seized by the federal government because they said he was economically irresponsible to have gun ownership. And this, as I found out, is something they've been doing to veterans around the country. Not just the mind, but their economic situation. They're taking their guns away. Well, this legislator who was just learned the doctrine of lesser magistrates seven weeks earlier, she contacts another legislator, they contact the sheriff, and two legisl- state legislators, the sheriff, and about 90 people stood in front of this man's house. And this, you can Google it. This is a big news story in Idaho. And, and, and then finally, after about three hours, the Fed sent some lackey out there and said, okay, we won't take his guns today. And um, they were able to subsequently, after that, work things out so that the federal government never did seize the Vietnam veterans' guns. So, I mean, there's practical application in the immediate right there, you know. And I can I could share a few other stories with you too, that. if you like. I, I love that victory. Uh, it, it, that's a victory. Absolutely. Absolutely. We're coming, up, we're coming up against the break. Our guest is Matt Chirella. His website is lessermagistrate.com. You can go there, bookmark his site, check out the resource material. Listen to sermons, other interviews, or buy his books, The Doctrine of Lesser Magistrates. And you can download, uh, Joe, you can download a, a, a handout, a, 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 what do you call it, a leaflet from that under resources. Uh, yeah, you go under resources, there's a, a number of, of interesting resources. I'm on the page right now, uh, three pages of it. And hand them out to your pastor, hand them out to your sheriff. Do what Matt is saying. We'll be right back, folks, with our final segment after this.
doctrine of the lesser magistrates is historic. It's a historic tool. It provides us with guidelines for proper and legitimate resistance. We are the resistance. We often hear Alex Jones say that. We are the resistance. And truly, we are the resistance, and we better be the resistance. We better stand up, and we better get, get our act together, and we better unite. And nothing frustrates me more than Christians sniping at other Christians over issues of religi- religiousosity or whatever, however that's pronounced. Oh, you're not doing it, or you can't do, you know, it's, you gotta conform to this and conform to that. No, you know, it's about time that, that we shed those, uh, preconceived and, and, um, um, arbitrary, capricious attacks and unite under the banner of our Lord and Savior. You know, we've got a magnificent, uh, uh tool right here. Um, we've got a magnificent asset in the form of our guest, Pastor, Mr. Uh, Matt Truella, and his website, lessermagistrate.com, defytyrants.com, his books, you know, they, they are blueprints. They're blueprints for our, the, our response to the unjust, immoral laws or decrees that have been perceivably, uh, is that a word? Perceivably. If not, I just made it, um, the thrust upon us, the perception of legality, which is wrong, obviously. You cannot, as Greg Jackson says, the, you know, an unjust or, or law that does not conform to God's law or the Constitution is no law at all. I'm paraphrasing now. But you, you want an instruction manual? Go to lessermagistrate.com. In fact, bookmark that site. Tell others about that site. Um, defytyrants.com takes you in the same spot, but the resources there are fantastic as well as the blueprints in the form of his books. But see, we have to unite. And, and Mr. Torella, thank you so much for holding through and carrying on. Um, yes, you, you mentioned the Idaho story where it took, it, it, it took the, the threat of a veteran losing his gun ownership. Oh yeah, wait, wait, you know, to, to that idiotic Canadian. Uh, stating that, oh, you know, America, just because we're not under martial law, you know, um, and, uh, we have our guns. We're not under tyranny. It's, you know, that's just bogus. But, but thanks for pointing out that we can, we, you know, we've got the ability to, to, to stand up and fight. And, and I really appreciate that. We, we should turn out in numbers against this, shouldn't we? There are, there sure. are victories. Yeah. Yeah, there are absolutely. Victims. Yeah, and there and there's other things that are being done at a practical level because you know, you know, when I wrote the book, I was just like, I got other topics I want to write about too before I go because I'm I'm 56 now. You kind of see the end of your days, you know, at that point coming. Uh, and um, mortality, yeah, you do, and, and I know exactly. You know what? Yeah, and thank you for mentioning that because a lot of our audience, me, you know, I'm looking at myself. I'm thinking. If I don't change, if I don't help enact change, then then who will? And and you, you look at yourself, you know, that you're 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 facing mortality, your own mortality. And and thank you for bringing that up because to me that, that that's a very important aspect of what we're talking about. But I didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead, sir. No, absolutely. No, I, it's true. So you know, I, I was like, okay, I'll write this book. Hopefully, somebody will buy it. Well, the book is sold like crazy. And what I ran into was people are like exactly what you said. 
So how do we have application? <laughs> you know, I was just so encouraged because there are actually people who want to have application. And even when we have defeats, when application is applied, God uses that for his purposes also. Like, I don't know if you know or not, but we nearly had a state openly defy the Obergefell opinion by the judiciary, and that was the state of Tennessee. And they had the votes and everything to actually defy, and it was the GOP leadership and the largest um, family, pro-family organization in the state that um, stopped the whole thing from happening. And, of course, okay, they did, ran into the federal courts. Did you hear that, ladies and gentlemen? It was it was our side, supposedly our side. I, I, I didn't mean to talk over you, but I just, this happens more often than not. Go ahead, and, and it just chops my, it, my lips there. You're absolutely right. It happens, and it was so grievous, because while the leader of the largest pro-life, uh, pro-family group in Tennessee is testifying before the committee, which was almost all Republicans, um, the homosexuals that showed up there, they were looking at each other like, we don't even have to testify. This guy's doing everything we want to do, and um, so we don't have to say anything. And they didn't. And, of course, the committee just killed the bill, and that was the end of it. You know, in Oklahoma, um, earlier this year, there was an actual bill of abolition you know, immediate interposition, total abolition of abortion, declared abortion to be murder, um, no exceptions, you know, is the killing of an innocent person. And it was the pro-life leaders and the GOP leadership that killed that bill in Oklahoma. One of the things that's good about what happened with that bill and with what happened in Tennessee is it exposes people for who they are. You know, if if you don't bring these types of bills forward for interposition, for just to defy the federal, and again, this is what we're talking about. You have to defy this judiciary. You cannot keep going back into the courts. You cannot keep following this paradigm. They are the tyrant. The other branches of government must stand in interposition. And so a governor is so massively important to seeing interposition take place at a state level. Um, here in the United States, the way that we're set up. I don't think right now we have a governor. We may. You know, I've seen inklings where, yeah, there's some really good stuff going on there with a few of these governors. But I can see men who are on their way up to governorship who are a stronger stripe than the men that are currently there. And as you pointed out, this federal government's only going to continue to become more lawless, more tyrannical, more corrupt, more obese and it's bureaucracies and invasions of our lives. And so the the demand and the desire for interposition is only going to grow. Like this whole thing with the doctrine of lesser magistrates at first floor right now. It's still on its way up. It's got a long way to go. And it's going to keep going up because one thing we can count on is the federal government to continue to play the tyrant and to continue to increase its tyranny in the nation. And like I said before, men will forbear, but it comes to a point where they no longer can, where they no longer can act indifferent to the unjust or immoral or unconstitutional actions of their federal government, and they must get involved. And we're reaching that point, and it's very encouraging to see. So even in the midst of our failures to see application, 
there's still goodness that comes from it. It exposes people. If they go to our website, they can read the history on what happened in Tennessee. They can read the history of what happened in Oklahoma. In fact, they can actually see the leader of the pro-life movement that helped kill the bill of interposition, total defiance of Roe v. Wade. They can actually watch him in a radio interview, and they can actually watch him in an interview in the hallway. That Those little videotapes of those two interviews did more to help people understand that, yeah, so often it's, quote, unquote, the people on our side that kill anything that's meaningful to see actual change. We, uh, <clears throat> not uh, earlier this year, we were talking with the uh, fellow radio show host, Josh Tully, and he was talking about, you know, marriage and how um, the people in the church really, you know, screwed up in the first place by asking our government to define marriage, therefore opening the door uh, for them to place the, the restrictions and the, do the changes that they, they had done, you know, saying that if they never would ask the government itself to define marriage, that it would not have come to this, at least not in the way that it did. Um, and Matt, I want to get your opinion on this. There's something that's been developing in the news the last few weeks and even just the last few days. The transgender laws in North Carolina the state has not conformed to what the administration, Obama administration, how it wants to conform to the transgender bathroom laws. So now they're going in and they're taking away the, you know, high, the College of North Carolina's ability to play in the NCAA tournament as well as other sports. And they're going after, you know, the state's universities, um, and other, uh, big revenue generating areas that have nothing to do with the, the law of the land or the people who uh, create or accept the laws. Um, how is this going to play out? Yeah. Well, we could talk, too, about the collusion and the complicity of corporate America with so much of this evil. Um, because what, talking to the magistrates, like in North Carolina and um, Mississippi and um, Georgia and other places like that, Every time they make any law regarding these matters to try to mitigate what the federal beast is doing, the corporations threaten to remove all kinds of money um, from the states. So that's another thing that has to be addressed is the complicity of corporate America with this evil here in America. But I, I sit and watch... I mean, I'm not just sitting and watching, but I, I watch and wait because one of the things I've noticed from my reading of history is something happens and God uses it for good. It's a spark. And everything that's gone on before is needed and necessary, even if it ended in failure, even if there was no major victories or anything along the way. Um, all of a sudden something happens and everything is turned upside down overnight. I wrote an article on this called um, The Straw That Broke the Camel's Back. We'll see if this whole reach by the federal government, because this is their latest tyranny, is what they're doing regarding transgenderism. Because when you look into the cases, it isn't like this is a man who became a woman physically and now wants to go in the woman's bathroom or vice versa. These are people who are still like fully a man who just thinks he's a woman and wants to go in the woman's bathroom. But they hide it behind this whole transgendered idea, and it leads people to thinking that, oh, this is just, you know, of course, you know, the, the guy went and did that. You know, he looks like a woman now. No, that isn't the case at all. 
um, in the vast majority of these cases uh, that have come before the courts. So you sit there and you wonder, at what point <laughs> will there be actual resistance, actual defiance? And I really believe that once we see one state defy, you're going to see more states um, join in to the resistance. I really believe that just from my travels and talking with people. Those people are sick of it and they're tired of it. And there's men in good places who understand that this is lawless and it needs to be taken to task. So it's extremely important for us to, as Christian people, to make sure that we continue to communicate this to the magistrates that we're with them. That, again, we will give of our possession, of our very persons, of our prayers, in order to stand with them if they do what's needed and necessary and interpose against the federal beast. So that's where I see it going, and I am hopeful that maybe we'll see a difference here because what they're what they've done, even my state, there's 14 states that have you know attacked what the federal government has tried to do with this bathroom situation, shower room situation, and it's like, okay, are we just going to feign a fight again? Are we just going to you know go to the federal courts, lose, or maybe win for a short time because that's what happened with homosexual marriage—a win for a short time—and then they come back a few years later in Claria. Um, <laughs> And then we're going to run to our constituents and say, oh, well, we put up a fight. Now we have to do this. Boys can go in our daughter's shower rooms. I mean, is that what they're going to do? Only time will tell. Well, uh, I think with with people like with with you and people like you, and, and the more that we get the word out there, we can change things. And yes. you're right. You know, when I mentioned before about, you know, what do you do with the sheriff, if the more people who do take action, then the more chance we'll, we'll, we'll have to see change. And I, and I truly believe that to be the case. Uh, I know my sheriff, uh, um, not personally, but I do know that if, if there were a couple of dozen people even beaten on his door over a single issue, you know, I, I think mm-hmm. he, he would, he would respond. So yeah, this is exactly yeah. what we have to do. Um, Absolutely. Let me share another great story to encourage you. I know our time's getting short. Have you ever heard of Sheriff Nick Finch down in Liberty County, Florida? No. No. Okay. Well, in in February of 2013, Sheriff Nick Finch comes to work. He's just looking over the roster, who's in his jail. He sees that there's a man in jail for a gun charge. He reads the statute of the gun charge, and his response is, that's an infringement. That statute is an infringement of that man's Second Amendment rights. So he himself went to the man's cell, unlocked it, and let him go. Well, three months later, agents show up from the Florida Attorney General's office and from the local, his, his same county, Liberty County's District Attorney's office, and they arrest him and charge him with three counts of malfeasance in office. He's now looking at years in prison, and the governor removes him from office. So here's a man who's been in law enforcement for over 20 years, and they've taken away how he puts food on his family's table. And he's looking at literally years in prison. Well, the people didn't respond by simply saying, you know, well, gee, I hope that works out okay for good old Sheriff Finch. They actually rallied outside the jail with nearly 200 people that very night. And then they held um, subsequent rallies, sometimes in the thousands, after that, and they gathered thousands of signatures 
on behalf of Sheriff Finch. And their whole message was simple. Why are you attacking our sheriff when he's just defending our liberties? Well, in October of 2013, they had the trial. It was three days long, and it took the jury only one hour to find him not guilty. And I watched the news coverage of when he came out of the courtroom. Now, this is a strong man, but he openly wept. You, you can only imagine the pressure that was on this man. I mean, that was the end of his career, how he was going to pride for his family, like years in prison. That's what he was up against. But it's a great story of the doctrine of the lesser magistrate in action. The magistrate interposes against bad law, and the people rally around him and support him in what he's doing. And the outcome was awesome. He was found not guilty three hours after he was found not guilty. The governor reinstituted him in his office. There is sheriff. I believe he's still the sheriff of the county to this day. Interesting. We got about 10 minutes left in the broadcast, Mr. Torella. Is there anything that you want to hit on or, or um, revisit before? Yeah, if I could. We... Just the importance of our families. Um, you know, we live in the midst of a, of a country where you don't, you don't, you don't have a government that's going to support you in any virtues, you know, regarding being a man, being a woman, being a husband, being a father, being a wife, being a mother. In fact, they've created policy in this country to destroy all that, you know, um, no fault divorce and then the phalanx of bureaucracies they've created to invade our domestic affairs, you know, um, seize our children you know, on a mere allegation and those types of things. It's obscene what they've done to destroy family in America. And the reason they've done it, and they've done it by design, is because every good status knows that in order to strengthen the state, you have to weaken the family. And so they've, through law and policy in this country, by design, have weakened the family, totally emasculated men. I go out on the campuses and I and I stand out there and raise my voice and say, how many of you young guys know what your purpose is as a man? And I'm not kidding you, it's like deer in the headlights. That's like a question they've never, of course they live in a society that never wants them to think about those things, that does everything to blur to the distinctions between males and females. And so then I go into my little sermonette about how God's created you to be a provider, a protector, and a priest. And man, they get quiet. You can see it's still down there somewhere, even though this country's done everything it's going to push it into oblivion. They want to hear those things. And the young women, they're glad to hear that the young men are here. You can see it, you know, as you're talking. So it's pretty phenomenal. Um, I encourage people to read a book called Family and Civilization by a man named um, Carl Zimmerman. Family and Civilization, Carl Zimmerman. He wrote the book in 1947. He is a renowned sociologist. If you know anything about sociology and sociologists, they do one of two things with Christianity. They either act like Christianity had nothing to do with Western civilization for 2,000 years, or they had every, Christianity had everything bad to do with Western civilization for 2,000 years. Well, Zimmerman wasn't a Christian. He was just an honest man. And he shows in his book so much good that Christianity brought to Western civilization. And in his work in 1947, he um, stated that um, America would soon see divorce for any reason or no reason at all, which, of course, we got with no-fault divorce, late 60s, early 70s, that we'd soon see legalized abortion, which, of course, 1973, and that we'd soon see rampant homosex in our nation. Need I say more? 
He said that in 1947, and he based that on his studies of the Greek and Roman civilizations and the um, French and Bolshevik revolutions, along with other smaller um, um, societies and cultures. And he said, this is a demarcation line which brings nations or civilizations to their end, empires into the ground. He said this, he said, it's when the people no longer want to have children. And he said, I don't mean by that they only want to have uh, zero. He said, although there are those. He said, what I mean by that is they only want one or two. And he showed how from the time the Greeks didn't want to have children till they fell to the Romans was 150 years. And from the time the Romans didn't want to have children till they fell to the Germanic hordes was nearly 400 years. Well, America has been in a steep decline for the last 150 years in regards to how many children the average couple has. In fact, last year it was 1.88. Demographers say you need 2.10 just to replace yourself. And um, and what drives it is men's desires to um, imbibe upon materialism and ease. And he said the reason that's the demarcation point when people no longer want to have children, that that marks the demise of a nation or a civilization, he said, is because when men want to be husbands and fathers and women want to be wives and mothers, it produces within people virtue. But... When men don't want to be husbands and fathers and women don't want to be wives and mothers, it produces within people vice. So anyways, I actually use this book because I've counseled over 400 couples as a pastor. and Hardly any from the church I pastor. People like to go to another pastor rather than their own pastor when they're having trouble in their marriage. And word spreads that you do pretty good with that. And I use this book for the last six years now with couples who are having trouble in their marriage because what it does is it pulls you out of our present melu because we live in a culture that does everything it can to belittle, to demean marriage and family um, in this country. I mean, you know, decriminalize adultery, um, divorce for any reason or no reason at all, uh, homosexual marriage, come on. That's all designed to belittle and demean marriage, to make us think that it's not <laughs> what it should be held in, you know, uh, in, regard, in regards to how we look at it. And so... Um, what it does is it pulls them up so they look at marriage and family over a 2,500-year period in the history. If you love history, you won't be able to put the book down. You might want to pass up the first 50 pages where he's talking about how he does all his research and stuff and just get into the history. But <laughs> um, once you get past page 50, you'll yeah. be hooked. And, um, Great. So it's a phenomenal work to help people to understand their importance and the importance of keeping your family, while the whole world's crashing around you, you want to keep your family strong. You know, you want to keep your relationship with your spouse good, with your children good, band them together in Christ so that they um, stay true to him and, um, you know, you don't collapse to all the pressures around you to um, destroy your family. Got it. Mr. Trella, thank you so very much for being a part of our program. My goodness. Your books, your resources at your website, lessermagistrate.com, the information which you provided tonight uh, on this broadcast, just invaluable tools uh, to to assist us in our fight against the perversions, the redefinitions, and the lawlessness that we face. I just want to say God bless you, yeah. and we really wish you, our prayers are with you, and we wish you well. Uh, we know that uh, you, you're going to be, well, you're at the tip of the spear in this fight, and uh, we want to elevate 
your 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 product here, your your books and your resources, doctrine of lesser magistrates to really you know bring us forward to get us victory. Man, it's great. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate that, and I want to thank you for the time uh, to talk to your listeners. It was a great blessing to me. So, thank you very much. God bless, my friend. Thank Thanks you for coming on. God bless you. Well, you know what, folks? Uh, that uh, to me, listening to this, and, and I, I don't know, um, no one, no one should really say, "Well, what, how can we fight this?" Because you know the the mantra. The, the false mantra that you can't fight City Hall, this Tavistockian product, you can't fight City Hall. That's not true. Now we can. I mean, we, we always could, but now this, it, it, we know how. Um, it's through this doctrine of lesser magistrates. And don't forget, Greg Jackson has talked about this a lot as, uh, others, including, uh, uh, uh Coach Dobmeyer. You know, any law that is contrary to God's law, or the Constitution is no law at all, and that's right. And 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 judicial supremacy—it's a lie. And we have the ability to change things through this. Um, that's it. I mean, there you have it. So, um, good. Now, don't forget, tomorrow night we have Augusto Perez coming on. He's not only going to be coming on to talk about um, some of the more uh, prophetic and spiritual things happening in the world the geopolitical situation from the Middle East to domestically here in this country he's got a conference coming up it's the Light in the Darkness conference and folks you can go to his website theappearance.com that's theappearance.com and go under uh, if you want the information on the conference uh, go under the category um, notifications and I'm sure it's under a few others and there's a PDF you can download, or you can just go to the page, and it gives the details there. It's the Light in the Darkness Conference, October 7th, 8th, and 9th. And this is at the Lighthouse Christian Center in Mayo, Florida. Mayo, M-A-Y-O. Mayo, Florida. And register for that conference, as um, Augusto does this frequently. And he has a five-fold ministry, and he is always... Uh, doing his best to reach those who are interested and willing to uh, be moved in this time through his ministry. Again, that's Light in the Darkness Conference, October 7th, 8th, and 9th, and he will be our guest tomorrow. Again, his website is theappearance.com. And if you didn't see who we had on this week on Monday, um, oh, goodness, who was on Monday? Jonathan Kahn was on Tuesday, followed by Standale. Yesterday we had Anthony Patch and Doug Woodward. Coach Dave was on Monday, that's right. I don't know, it seems like Monday was a, a whole week ago already. But go back and check out the interviews all this week if you missed any of them, because they have been just uh, one after the other uh, information-packed show. Even my mom let me know that she listened to the last uh, Tuesday and Wednesday, and she said they were both fantastic shows, and I thought so as well. So... Uh, go and check out those archives if you haven't already. Um, they were great shows. And then next week, we have uh, Dr. Michael Lake, Dr. Heiser. And then during the midweek, we got a, a special guest that's going to come on, and, and we're going to revisit some information pertaining to Obama and Loretta Fuddy. It's yeah, going to be this, the, uh, the information, the, the investigative work product by our guest next week, and I'm, I'm, you're, you're going to see as the 
uh, just watch HagmanReport.com because it's it's extremely important. It's relevant to the Obama activities and and his really his identity and the the um, and the collusion and conspiracy by others in this reign in this in this uh, uh, this regime, I suppose. Folks, I just we just want to say thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for being part of our family. Our extended family of listeners, thank you for tuning in from Europe to Australia, New Zealand, Nova Scotia, all of Central and South America, and the United States. God bless. Saddle for battle. Until tomorrow. 